Okay, we do have a quorum of the city council present. So if the city clerk can let me know, we can start the meeting. Thank you, Mayor. We are ready to start. Okay, let's begin. Recording in progress. Good afternoon, and I'd like to call to order this special meeting of the Berkeley City Council for Wednesday, January 18, 2023. Before we proceed to a roll call, I will play the COVID-19 meeting announcement recording. Give me one second to pull up the advisory. Pursuant to government code section 54953E and the state declared emergency, this meeting will be conducted exclusively through teleconference and Zoom video conference. The COVID-19 state of emergency continues to directly impact the ability of the members to meet safely in person and presents imminent risks to the health of the attendees. Therefore, please be advised that no physical meeting location will be available. Please be mindful that this meeting may be recorded as any public meeting may be recorded and all other rules of procedure and decorum will apply for meetings conducted by teleconference or video conference. Live captioned broadcasts of City Council meetings are available on cable BTV channel 33 and via internet accessible video stream on the city's website. To access the meeting remotely using the internet, join from a PC, Mac, iPad, iPhone, or Android device using the URL indicated on the agenda for this meeting. If you do not wish for your name to appear on the screen, then use the drop-down menu and click on Rename to rename yourself to be anonymous. To request to speak, use the raise hand icon on the screen. To join by phone, dial the number indicated on the agenda for this meeting and enter the meeting ID. If you wish to comment during the public comment portion of the agenda, press star 9 and wait to be recognized by the chair. Thank you. The first item on our agenda is roll call. I'd like to ask the city clerk to please call the roll. Council member Kasarwani? Here. Taplin? Present. Bartlett? Here. Harrison? Here. Hahn? Present. Wengraf? Present. Robinson? Present. Humbert? Here. And Mayor Araging? Present. Thank you. All members are present. Thank you very much. Since this is a special meeting of the City Council to take up one item, um, item one, the adoption of the 2023 to 2031 housing element update. Um, we will now proceed to the action calendar and um, we'll proceed to item one, the um, adoption of the housing element update, the public hearing and consideration of the housing element. And um, with that, I'd like to turn the floor over to Jordan Klein, Director of Planning and Development. Thank you, Mr. Mayor, and good afternoon, council members. Uh, I'll, I'll give a brief intro while Grace pulls up the slide deck. We're so pleased to be before you today to recommend adoption of the housing element for uh, update for the six cycle period. This hearing is a culmination of a process that began over 18 months ago in spring of 2021. I'm really proud of all the work that our department, the city agency, and our community have put into this critical planning document. Not only is the housing element update reflective of the community input and feedback that we've received along the way, but it also accurately reflects the city's bold policy and program agenda for facilitating housing production and equitable development in Berkeley. And most importantly, we're confident that the documents before you today are fully compliant with the requirements of state law that guide municipalities' work on their housing element updates. <clears throat> 
I want to recognize the many team members who contributed to the documents that are before you for consideration, especially the staff and consultants who are present at the hearing today. Veronica Tam of Ro Veronica Tam and Associates, Carly Kaufman of Raycon Consultants, Margot Ernst, the manager of uh, the Housing and Community Services Division, the Fire Marshal Steve Riggs, City Attorney Farima Brown, and Deputy City Attorney Sarah Stevens, and staff and ladies planning, including Steve Buckley, Zoe Cavello, Justin Horner, and our project manager extraordinaire and principal planner in the Lenny's Policy Group, Grace Wu, to whom I'll now turn over this presentation. Thank you, Jordan, and um, good afternoon, Mayor and Council. I'm pleased to be back to present an update and recommendation on the sixth cycle 2023 to 2031 housing element update. Joining me for the presentation is Jordan Justin Horner, Associate Planner. So first, I want to thank you and community members for reviewing this important and admittedly very large body of material. Um, there are six parts to what staff submitted, which are listed here. And yes, it took nearly 1400 pages to put together what we believe is a thorough and substantially compliant housing plan. Um, as you know, the city of Berkeley has a general plan that guides its public decision-making. The housing element is one of the nine elements in Berkeley's general plan. This is the only element that is required to be certified by the state. And it must be updated every eight years in order to understand what has changed and to ensure that Berkeley's housing policies and programs continue to meet the needs of its diverse community and across a range of income levels. So all jurisdictions of the Bay Area have a deadline at the end of this month, which is when the fifth cycle ends. Overall, the Bay Area needs to plan for, for over 441,000 new housing units and Berkeley's portion of that is just shy of 9,000 units. Um, you can see in yellow, we're nearly at the finish line of this 18-month effort that started in the summer of 2021. Um, much of what we're presenting tonight will look familiar to you since we've received council's input um, over the course of this effort at four work sessions. Um, we've also held eight planning commission meetings and within the past six months released three public review drafts and two state review drafts. So all those areas shaded in gray on this timeline. Um, the Department of Housing and Community Development, or HCD, has also conducted an initial review of the city's housing element and is currently reviewing this subsequent draft that is before you today. Notable changes to address their initial comments have been summarized in the staff report, starting on page 10 of the, um, the PDF agenda packet. So as Jordan mentioned earlier, the housing element has been a significant undertaking for staff at the city, as well as in other city agencies, which include the Rent Board and Berkeley Housing Authority. Each of the icons on this slide represents a person who has helped craft the package before you today. Um, I also wanna acknowledge Zoe Cabello again, assistant planner who has come through multiple iterations of the site's inventory and helped organize and facilitate many of the, the outreach efforts. So, to that end, of course, we couldn't have put together this housing plan without the input of renters, property owners, students, business owners, advocates, housing developers, builders, and so many other city stakeholders. We're really grateful to everyone who gave feedback at our workshops and events and participated in interviews, filled out surveys, spoke up at commission meetings, um, went on a walking tour. So I just wanna thank everyone. Um, and it was through that extensive engagement effort that built the foundation for the six housing element goals. 
Um, Berkeley is an, a diverse and vibrant city and a key component to that is having a range of housing options at a range of prices. The plan speaks to preserving and maintaining existing housing stock to ensure that buildings are not only high quality and safe, but also more efficient and more resilient. We have heard from community members and council on the importance of producing more housing in order to keep pace with both existing and projected demand. And to that end, a particular focus um, has been on serving those with special needs or at the lowest income levels for which housing is least affordable. Um, actions that focus on affirmatively furthering fair housing or AFFH for short, especially increasing access to housing in the highest resource neighborhoods is an incredibly important focus of this housing element update. And finally, we heard repeatedly from stakeholders and from the state on the need to mitigate barriers to the construction and improvement of the city's housing stock. So with that background, staff's presentation um, today contains two parts. First, I'll present on the components of the housing element, and then Justin will talk about CEQA. So there are seven key components to the housing element that are required by state law. We cover them within the five chapters of the main housing element document, so the first 160 pages. Um, and then we also go into further detail within its six appendices. Um, I wanna draw special attention to affirmatively furthering fair housing. The analysis is largely in appendix E, although targeted actions and strategies are interwoven throughout our housing policies and programs. AFFH is a recently added state law requirement to assess and take action to address systemic patterns of disparity and segregation. Over a quarter of um, Berkeley's housing element package is dedicated to responding to AFFH. And thanks to Veronica Tam and her team, HCD has cited Berkeley's AFFH analysis as a model for other jurisdictions. So next, a quick recap on RENA. You've all seen this before. This is Berkeley's regional housing needs allocation, which um, was assigned by the Association of Bay Area Governments or ABAG just over a year ago. So our RENA for the sixth cycle is a 202% increase from our current cycle. You can see that jump from the left bar to the right bar. This is fairly consistent across all jurisdictions in the Bay Area this cycle. And in the middle bar so far between 2015 and 2021, we're still compiling data from last year, um, we've issued building permits for 3,744 units, majority of market rate. Again, a reminder of how this all fits into the bigger housing picture in Berkeley. So according to the State Department of Finance, Berkeley has approximately 52,000 units of housing. So with ARENA added on top of it, it represents a 17% increase from our current housing stock. As part of meeting the RENA, the city identifies specific sites, the sites inventory, to demonstrate its ability to meet the RENA. The city is not required to build each site, but we have to make sure we're not restricting it from getting developed. Conversely, just because a site isn't listed in the site's inventory doesn't mean it can't or won't get developed in the next eight years. Um, this pie chart on the left shows the broad categories that comprise Berkeley sites inventory. So likely sites in blue are housing projects that have been entitled since 2018, but haven't yet received their certificate of occupancy as of June 30th of last year for HCD's guidelines. ADU trends are also included in that blue likely sites category. Pipeline sites in purple are projects that are currently under review or are actively engaging with the city on a submittal. So those are sites that we know there is development interest. So 
If the blue and the purple, if these applications get constructed as proposed, we will be meeting over 55% of our six cycle arena. So then that last category, opportunity sites in red, are locations that have met multiple criteria, for example, older existing commercial structures, low building to land value, uh, low floor area ratio for their zone um, or have our proximity, have, um, their proximity or similar their similarities to other recent new development. So if you look in table C10, which starts on page 217 of tonight's PDF packet, staff identify the existing use and how each opportunity site meets the selection criteria. So not surprisingly, the site's inventory has also evolved throughout this 18-month effort. For example, um, in response to HCD comment, we reduced our projection of ADUs from 100 units per year to 75 units per year. Um, in response to community feedback that we received, a few opportunity sites were removed, such as Monterey Market. And over the summer, staff went through and combed and did another review of applications that were received as of June 30th. And um, there were a number of entitled projects that blue likely category that have since resubmitted new applications at higher densities. So that, that's encouraging. Um, so that's how we arrived at sites, a site's inventory capacity of 15,001 units. So here's a bar chart showing how Berkeley's sites inventory in green compares with um, the RENA in gray. So overall, our site's inventory has a 68% buffer with a 26% buffer in the lower income category. Um, one advantage of having this larger buffer upfront now is to avoid having to continually identify more sites throughout the cycle in case an actual future project results in less units or fewer affordable units. And as mentioned before, the city is not required to build or finance its site's inventory, but we need to make sure that the assumed capacity is feasible. So here's the site's inventory map showing all three types of sites. Um, sorry, I know it's a bit hard to read on um, a PowerPoint slide, but the sites are largely located along major commercial and transit corridors, and that's as a, as a function of meeting that criteria that I mentioned earlier. Um, and the bar chart on the left shows the breakdown by the three income categories. Again, the blue are units from entitled projects, the purple are units from what we know of, of pipeline projects, and the red are um, units from opportunity sites. What's not shown on this map are potential infill projects like ADUs, which based on recent development trends are likely to be built, but we can't pinpoint exactly on a map where they will occur. So here are housing programs. So on the left-hand side of this slide, are the 37 policies and programs that the city is pledging to work on over the next eight years. Um, this list largely, largely reflects city programs or council referrals that are funded and staffed, meaning we can ensure HCD that they will happen. Um, also, I, I feel the need to say this as staff, the proposed timelines in the housing element reflect our best thinking on what is realistic to achieve given Berkeley's robust public processes and existing staffing and resources. Um, Two of these programs, 27 and 29, have also been included in the CEQA analysis, which Justin will talk more about in a bit. So just to highlight, Program 27 includes two projects that are underway, San Pablo Specific Plan, which is largely funded by ABAG MTC, and the Southside rezoning effort, which you might recall we presented initial uh, zoning standards 
in September to the council and we plan to come back to you for consideration and hopefully adoption in 2023. And then program 29, middle housing, which stems directly from council's referrals. And we've had a number of public meetings on this item, which if council approves, would allow for um, by right development of multi-unit housing throughout the city's lower density districts. So all those areas in the light yellow on this map, which includes um, the city's higher resource neighborhoods. So as you can see, pretty much all of the city, pretty, all parts of the city are included in our efforts to plan for more housing, which is a key component of meeting state law to affirmatively further fair housing. Um, that all said, and this is an important point, just because a program is not identified in the six cycle housing element doesn't preclude council from adopting a new housing policy over the next eight years. Okay, so this is my last slide before passing it to Justin. For the environmental analysis, just to give us room for some of that rezoning, for the rezoning programs I just described, um, an additional buffer is added on top of the site's inventory. So just stepping back and looking at the bigger picture within the city, um, Berkeley's existing housing stock has mentioned approximately 52,000 units. Um, we've, if we add our six cycle arena on top, we're looking at about 61,000 units with our site's inventory capacity. We're at over 67,000 uh, units. Um, and then we add our EIR buffer on top of that, which gets us to just over 71,000 units, which would be um, an over 36% increase from our existing housing stock. So with that, I'll now pass it to Justin. Thank you, Grace. Uh, good afternoon, Mayor Aragine and members of the City Council. I'm Justin Horner, Planning Department staff. I'm here to present information about the environmental determination for the housing element. I'll provide a short overview of the secret process thus far before summarizing the projected build out that was analyzed in the EIR, briefly reviewing the environmental impacts identified in the EIR, and presenting the secret documents you're being asked to adopt this evening. Uh, next slide, please. This slide summarizes the CEQA timeline for the housing element EIR. The process began a year and a day ago with the release of a notice of preparation. At the end of August of last year, a draft EIR was released for a 45-day public comment period that ended on October 17th. After the public comment period closed, we prepared a response to comments document and a final mitigation monitoring and reporting program, which the Planning Commission considered at their December 7th meeting last year. The commission recommended that the council certify the EIR and adopt the CEQA findings and statement of overriding consideration. I'll now describe the proposed build-out a little bit more analyzed in the EIR. Next slide, please. This slide summarizes the build-out included in the EIR, a total of around 19,000 units. It includes roughly 15,000 units from the site inventory Grace described earlier, a projection of 1,745 units associated with proposed zoning changes for middle housing, as well as 1,000 units associated with zoning changes being considered for the south side. Finally, the projection includes 1,200 units associated with the Ashby and North Berkeley BART stations. Next slide, please. So given that our arena is around 9,000, why does the EIR examine nearly 19,000? There are a few reasons for this. For one, the EIR is not only examining the effects of housing that would meet our arena allocation. It examines the entire site inventory as well as additional programs that have been approved or referred by the city council, including middle housing, south side rezoning, and Ashby North Berkeley BART stations. A second reason is a difference between the housing element and CEQA. To make sure we don't game our arena numbers with unrealistic projections, 
The housing element has to be relatively conservative with how many units we claim can be produced. On the other hand, to make sure we don't game CEQA by minimizing environmental effects, CEQA asks us to assume a maximum build-out when analyzing environmental impacts. Similarly, the larger number in the EIR allows us to take into account that projects may use density bonus or other incentives, things we can't assume in the housing element. And finally, it is just generally good CEQA practice to analyze the most reasonable maximum development scenario so we don't miss or underestimate any adverse environmental effects. Next slide, please. That all being said, it's important to remember a few caveats. Most importantly, um, an EIR does not, this EIR does not approve any projects. It is an analytical and public information tool for disclosing environmental effects. No specific development projects are cleared under CEQA by this programmatic EIR. Indeed, unless a project is otherwise exempt, CEQA will still be required for projects. While certification of the EIR can make it easier for projects to comply with CEQA, any project that wants to use this EIR must be analyzed to determine whether its effects would result in new or more severe impacts than those that are disclosed in the housing element EIR. These analyses themselves can run to dozens of pages. And if a project results in greater impacts, additional mitigations can be required. Similarly, any future zoning changes will still require CEQA analysis. The CIR may make it easier for a particular rezoning to comply with CEQA, but there must still be a similar analysis to ensure that the effects of the rezoning would not result in new or more severe impacts than those disclosed in this EIR. I'll now summarize the environmental impacts that are included in the EIR. Next slide, please. This slide includes the resource areas for which it has been found that there would be less than significant environmental effects and that no new mitigation measures are required. In most cases, already existing public policies, programs, and requirements ensure that there will not be significant environmental effects in these areas. Next slide. The EIR does identify three resource areas where there are significant effects, but these effects can be brought down to less than significant levels once new mitigations are applied. For the examples here, the EIR includes five new mitigation measures to address air quality, possible paleontological impacts, and tribal cultural resource impacts. Next slide, please. The EIR does include three resource areas where impacts were found to be significant and could not be reduced to a less than significant level, even with mitigation measures applied. For cultural resources, namely historic buildings, although the city of Berkeley has existing preservation regulations, and even though the EIR includes two new mitigation measures in this area, it was not possible to declare with certainty that there would be no impacts on any historical cultural resources, namely because we often do not know if a resource is historical until a development project is proposed. Accordingly, the impact was deemed significant and unavoidable. Similarly, with construction-related noise, although the city has conditions of approval regulating construction noise, it could not be determined with certainty that noise would be at an acceptable level for every possible project. And finally, with respect to wildfire, Although city conditions of approval include transportation construction plans, fire protection plans, and geotechnical analysis, and although the EIR includes a new mitigation measure to underground new utilities in the fire hazard zone, there could still exist unique site or road conditions that could result in significant effects in this area. Next slide. Next, I'd like to briefly summarize the alternatives included in the EIR. CEQA requires that an EIR include a range of conceptual alternatives, one of which must be a no-project alternative, 
and at least one of which must try to reduce a significant unavoidable impact. For this EIR, we included three alternatives, a no project alternative, an alternative that took out any rezoning within the hills overlay in an attempt to address the wildfire impact, and an alternative that took out any middle housing rezoning. Next slide, please. This slide summarizes a comparison of the three alternatives with the proposed project. Alternatives one and three result in slightly reduced environmental effects when compared to the EIR projection, namely because they include fewer units, less construction, and less development overall. Alternative two's impacts are similar to the proposed project because even without rezoning in the hills overlay, the analysis found that SB9, a recent state law, would result in a comparable increase in development in the overlay zone. Importantly, for the purposes of CEQA, none of the alternatives eliminated the significant and unavoidable impacts related to noise, cultural resources, or wildfire. Next slide, please. Finally, on my last slide here, I'll briefly describe the CEQA documents you are considering tonight. These include the Response to Comments document, or the RTC, and the Mitigation Monitoring and Reporting Program, or the MMRP. These two documents, when combined with the draft EIR, constitute the final environmental impact report. The RTC responds to all of the public comments on the draft EIR that we received during the public comment period that ended in October. As a result of the public comments, revisions were made to the hazards and hazardous materials section of the EIR. Importantly, no new environmental impacts were identified as a result of the public comments and no new mitigation measures were added. The Mitigation Monitoring and Reporting Program, or MMRP, lists every mitigation measure that will apply to projects during the housing element period. The MMRP includes eight specific mitigations in five areas, which we reviewed in earlier slides. Most of these mitigations are standard conditions of approval that are typically required for projects in Berkeley. Finally, the Council is asked to adopt two other documents, the CEQA findings and the Statement of Overriding Consideration. The CEQA findings is a required administrative document that summarizes the project's impacts and the mitigations included in the EIR. As noted before, after all mitigations are adopted, there still remain significant and unavoidable impacts. Therefore, in order to certify the EIR and proceed with the project, the City Council will need to make a statement of overriding consideration, which weighs the potential benefits of the project against these environmental effects. This statement includes such considerations as the requirement for the City to comply with state housing element law, the benefits of providing new housing, especially affordable housing, the benefits of encouraging housing in high resource areas, and the benefits of affirmatively furthering fair housing. That is the end of the environmental presentation. I'll give it back to Grace. Thanks, Justin. So to wrap it up, um, in HCD's November initial review letter in your packet tonight, um, the state did not identify any fatal flaws in the city's draft housing element. Um, as you'll probably see, the, the comments were primarily asking for technical clarifications and not policy revisions. Um, and you can see in our responses to the 12 identify items identified, staff provided more detailed geographic targeting and more specifics on our opportunity sites and um, our timelines and milestones. So as I mentioned earlier, HCD is currently reviewing this subsequent draft, and we expect to get a letter from them on or before January 30th. Um, I want to stress that there are still opportunities for the Council to target specifics when these programs come back before you for implementation, such as middle housing. 
As the mayor mentioned in his newsletter this week, um, there may be significant consequences for not adopting a substantially compliant housing element within the next 13 days. Um, one of the biggest issues is that the city may lose eligibility or competitiveness for state and regional affordable housing and infrastructure funding. Also, a court could limit local zoning authority. So with that, and with your acceptance of the amended supplemental resolution tonight, um, which more specifically identifies the city's sites inventory methodology, um, staff's recommendation to the city council is to adopt the amended supplemental resolution to certify the EIR and related CEQA documents and approve and adopt the 2023 to 2031 housing element. So thank you again for your time and attention. We look forward to hearing your comments. Thank you so very much. Um, I'm gonna recommend that we go to the public hearing. We have 133 attendees who are participating in our meeting today and imagine many of them would like to testify on the proposed housing element update. So I will now open the public hearing on the 2023 to 2031 housing element update and the certification of the environmental impact report and um, adoption of CEQA findings, statement of overriding considerations, mitigation measures, and the mitigation monitoring and reporting program. Um, if any attendee would like to speak on this item, please raise your hand at this time. Um, and pursuant to the City Council's rules of procedure, um, if there are more than 10 speakers, each speaker will be allotted one minute. However, you can yield your time to a speaker for up to four minutes maximum, meaning that if three other individuals yield you their minute, then you could speak for the maximum time of four minutes. So we'll go first to the first raise hand, Soli Alpert. Uh, good afternoon, Mayor and members of the City Council. I want to thank staff for all their hard work on this document, um, but really strongly object to the second proposed amendment from the supplemental from Councilmember Kesserwani, which would undermine eviction, or I'm sorry, uh, de demolition controls. Um, this was something that has been discussed at the 4x4, is actively being discussed between the council and the rent board, but no notice was given to any rent board commissioners, any of our staff, uh, no outreach was done on this proposal. That would significantly uh, open up the possibility of the demolition of rent controlled units in the city. Because of the council's failure to act before the November election, any replacement rent controlled units under 1482, the result from the demolition of rent controlled units in Berkeley, are second class rent controlled units that do not benefit from the protection, oversight, or enforcement of the rent board. So, you know, TOPA was not included in this document because it was not something that council had voted on yet. The same is true for the, uh, the, the demolition ordinance. This is still something that the council has not yet formally adopted or changed. So I would urge not to make that change to this document. Thank you. We'll go next to Russell Bates, followed by Jonah Gottlieb. Hi, everybody. Good afternoon to you all. Um, I was talking to my Russian friend, Yuri Pissanmiya, about this whole thing. And Yuri wanted me to mention that bad idea of this whole thing is like, when is the city going to stop building everywhere they can? When are buildings going to be built upon the UC Berkeley campus? They have a plenty of green space there. We don't have enough on the south side of Berkeley. Uh, I would suggest this might be a time for y'all to uh, exhibit your brass ball, your brass Hey, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. We've had enough of you telling us what to do. But then you lose the affordable housing. 
So the state has got to be by the short hairs. Somehow that's got to be rectified. You don't have to do this. You can say no. I urge you to do that. Thank you very much. We'll go next to Jonah Gottlieb, followed by Bryce. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I have uh, an extra minute given to me by Cal Berkeley Democrats President Cecilia Lunapara. Okay, thank you. Um, yeah, my name is Jonah Gottlieb. Um, I'm speaking today on behalf of the Berkeley Tenants Union. I'm also a member of uh, Cal Berkeley Democrats. Um, earlier in the presentation, council members and community members were thanked for carefully considering this report. However, the last meant the last minute amendment from council member Kesarwani was uh, added to this in such a way that the community and the council and the elected rent board had no time to consider these parts and their impacts on tenants, their impacts on the environment, etc. Um, this completely anti-democratic move um, really just shows where this uh, certain members of the council are in relation to the people of the city and their desire for affordable housing and tenant protections. We should be incentivizing infill where possible rather than tear down and replace. Uh, it's better for the environment, preserves rent-controlled units, and protects against displa displacements. Um, the amendment also contains no protections against Ellis Act evictions in particular. Um, demolitions Demolitions controls are very important because they specifically impact tenants disproportionately and allow uh, a lever to extract tenant right concessions. And this uh, proposed amendment completely goes against that. Um, yeah, I would also just echo everything that uh, Vice Chair Alpert said uh, in relation to uh, the process of the rent board. Um, the supplemental report does contain some good provisions, uh, especially uh, Amendment 1, uh, such, which talks about uh, upzoning in wealthy neighborhoods, whereas the current report only talks about upzoning in poor neighborhoods, such as along San Pablo Avenue. Um, lastly, uh, should include the Tenant Opportunity Right to Purchase Act, TOPA, um, which will help us keep our neighbors in Berkeley, prevent displacement, create permanently affordable housing, and contain pathways to ownership. Please remove uh, Amendment 2 from the housing element and add TOPA. Thank you. We'll go next to Bryce, followed by Anthony. Hello, this is Bryce Nesbitt. The supplemental report is really disturbing. The idea of... Um, of having demolition of single family homes in order to build denser apartments. I would like to, perhaps council has forgotten that we've already solved that problem. Every home in California has the ability to add an ADU and a junior ADU that makes for a three unit property without changing the form, without altering the neighborhood and allowing the current residents to be in place with more income. Please reject this supplemental argument um, option. It has, it, it, it's poorly considered, it's too late, and it's solving a problem that has already been solved by the state. Thank you. Thank you. We'll go next to Anthony, followed by Deborah Krop. Hello there. I'm calling to thank council and the city staff for the work on the housing element and ask the council for uh, passage of the housing element adoption along with uh, supplemental items two and three. Uh, as described in supplemental item two, 
the intent is to bring the housing element into line with referrals made by council, including by right middle housing at single family uh, homes that have not had a tenant in the last five years. The state HCD comments that we're awaiting uh, in the end of January, it's really important that we're standing up to those. And the uh, changes in supplemental item two especially are going to help us do that uh, by strengthening language around updating zoning rather than just studying zoning updates and by uh, reforming uh, zoning in high resource neighborhoods so that we have equal affirmatively furthering fair housing between neighborhoods. Thank you. Deborah Cropped, followed by Teo Pasolet. I'm very opposed to demolition by right of any residential building with up to three units after five years of being empty. First, the proposed demolition by right could make it profitable for a developer to leave a house empty for five years and then later tear down a historic landmark. Um, another thing, probate after a house owner's death and working out ownership and usage um, re by remaining family members can take many years. This was the case with the Berryman Street house. A developer after a purchase should be required, as the developer did in the Berryman Street house case, to go through the planning permit process for new construction. And then last, tearing down by right circumvents standard planning policies developed by experts and Berkeley citizens over many years. And I'm very concerned that you would do this, propose this, and try to push it through at the last minute. Thank you. We'll go next to Teo, followed by Chris Schilt. All right, I believe I'm unmuted now. Can everybody hear me? Yes. So yes. first of all, I'd like to thank the council members for introducing the first part of the amendments around uh, upzoning for the you know high priority high resource uh, commercial districts so I live in district six uh, I'm close to Shattuck there are lots of sites in North Shattuck that I believe should have significant amounts of housing um, and I, I certainly think that that is a very clear step towards affirmatively furthering fair housing um, so I definitely appreciate that um, regarding the uh, other amendment, the um, by right, um, I do believe that we need to give certainty to people who are looking to develop small properties. Um, I look forward to council discussing that matter more later. Perhaps there's a resolution to that, but small developers that may be developing four unit buildings need clarity, certainty if they're going to build housing. Otherwise, they simply won't occur. So I ask the council to consider that aspect. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Chris Schilt, followed by Mike Dunham. Uh, thank you so much, and good afternoon slash evening to Mayor and City Council. My name is Chris Schilt, um, and I am a former District 3 representative on the Planning Commission, former chair of the Planning Commission, uh, and wanted to speak tonight first to congratulate the um, community, the Planning Commission, the staff, the Council for all of the hard work that's gone into this housing element. I think it's an impressive document in many ways. Um, and in particular to highlight, I think, uh, impressive work done by the Planning Commission recently uh, in the letter that they submitted to you all tonight uh, and speaking up for um, 
more that needs to be done to prevent displacement and encouraging TOPA as one of those tools. So I know we're going to be working on passing TOPA this year, hopefully this spring, and really look forward to uh, working with you all on that. It's incredibly important uh, to get it passed. So thank you for all of your work. Mike Dunham, followed by David Ushijima. Good afternoon, Council. My name is Mike Dunham. Uh, my wife and I moved to Berkeley uh, in September where we, when we bought our very first home. And then a couple of weeks later had uh, our first son who is sleeping right next to me. So you may hear some snoring. Um, I haven't really had much time to engage with the housing element in the last few months, but I was looking intently at the map that staff shared. And I was disappointed that uh, there's not much housing being proposed uh, in Southeast Berkeley, where we live. Uh, we're a block away from College Ave, which is a wonderful resource, resource, both in Berkeley and on the Oakland side, and is the perfect place to build a lot of uh, multifamily housing, both for rent and for sale. I'd love for my son 20 years from now to be able to live near me, uh, but I've, I worry that if we, if we don't upzone wealthy areas like this one, uh, that unless he's a, a tech executive making half a million dollars a year or more, he won't be able to afford this area. So please, please upzone whether part of the housing element or after. We really need it here. Thank you. Thank you. We'll go next to David Ushijima, followed by Vanessa Morero. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Mayor and Council. I've been uh, given a minute uh, seated by Meryl Siegel, who's on this call. Thank you. So thank you very much. Uh, you know, I believe that there was a huge amount of work that was uh, put into this, and I really admire that. You know, adoption of density is a given, but, you know, I think we we have to look at the creation of livable density. And there are cities that are dense, but you have to be able to incorporate in your design the livability amongst density. One, one thing that I strongly object to is the use of middle housing, the middle housing program to create by-right entitlements, which are detrimental. You know, the last minute addition of this demolition of two to three units is, is abhorrent. You know, that should not be allowed. Also, a by-right approval of a 50-foot structure in the residential districts of R1A, R2, R2A, mixed-use residential should not be allowed. Of course, density, you know, will remedy some of the effects of redlining in the R1, but we really need to look at how we rezone. You know, you just can't rezone the way that it's being proposed right now because it will be detrimental. So what I mean by livable density is that currently you have not uh, re revised the transportation element and transportation is going to be a major problem when there's no, the elimination of parking and different routes are going to be taken to the BART stations and along the, the corridors. The streetscape has not been redesigned or considered as to non-car modes of transportation, pedestrians, bicycles. The Ohlone Greenway should be used as a model for how people get around this town, not by driving and then parking. And we need more open space at key nodes in our city. You know, the University Avenue has nodes in, in the design, strategic design, but we need to add more open space downtown and there. Thank you very much. 
We'll go next to Vanessa Morero, followed by Elisa Mikitin. Hi, good evening. My name is Vanessa Morero, and I'm calling in to make a public comment regarding this item. Um, I am so excited that we have an amazing um, rent board with commissioners who are focused on ensuring that there is no displacement. And it would be great to see that the this um, housing element it would be passed before this board so that we can have more conversation about it. The second piece that I'm, I'm interested in sharing with you all is to really make sure that um, that there's considerations and protections against Ellis evictions. I don't see that. Um, and that we definitely um, make sure that TOPA is added. I appreciate all the work that goes into the housing element and look forward to collaborating with all of you soon. Thank you. Thank you. We'll go next to Elisa Mikitin, followed by Leila Moncharch. Thank you, and I've got an extra minute from Eric. I want to echo my strong support for Soli Alpert's statement regarding rent controlled units. It would sabotage community trust to commit to approve a demo ordinance that is still under discussion. Um, and although I agree with the impulse to increase capacity on corridors, it would also be a breach of trust to commit to adopting unspecified changes to San Pablo Avenue in advance of the public process. The report says these changes are not substantive. I disagree, but even if you don't, if they are not substantive, they are also not necessary. Also, I think you need to ask the question tonight about historic and cultural resources. If these impacts are included in the EIR as unavoidable, will you have the ability to protect historic buildings and Ohlone cultural resources? Thank you. Leila Mancharsh, followed by Edwin Birnbaum. Good evening. Uh, I'm Leila Mancharsh, and I'm the president of the Berkeley Architectural Heritage Association. And uh, we have three points that we'd like to make. One is this amendment uh, that would allow uh, at-right at demolition um, we're concerned about because it could include landmarks. Uh, also, it violates CEQA because you haven't had any any discussion of it. You, <laughs> you're putting it in here at, after the horse has already left the barn. Uh, so it's not covered under CEQA and it clearly could impact cultural resources. So um, one, one solution for it is to put in a, if you really want to pass it, I don't know why you would, but put an exception in there for, um, for landmarks. Um, then you got to figure out how to word that. The second point is that you're you're doing something with that that the governor and the legislature doesn't want you to. They don't want you to tear down landmarks, and you're not doing something they do want, which is a better allocation of of housing for the poor. And you're too slow. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Edwin Birnbaum, followed by Joel Meyerson and Peggy Rattle. Edwin Birnbaum, you should now be able to speak. Uh, members of the uh, City Council, my name is Ed Birnbaum. 
I founded Vital Arts with Beth Jay and Tom Dolan after losing our son, Jonathan, in the ghost ship fire. Vital Arts is dedicated to honoring the victims of the ghost ship fire by working towards safe, affordable spaces for artists to live, work, and perform in the Bay Area, and to ensure that no artists or art lovers have to pay for their passion with their lives, as happened with the ghost ship fire. We want to express our appreciation and thanks for the inclusion of artists in the housing element update. My colleagues and I look forward to continuing to work with you and council and staff members to implement the options included in this plan, such as modifying the zoning standards for ground floor uses to allow commercial living options, such as artists live workspace. We must do more to address the urgent need for affordable housing outlined in the city's recent artist housing survey at Berkeley is to remain a vital home for diverse forms of culture and creativity. Thank you. Thank you. Joel Meyerson, you should now be able to speak. Hello, this is Peggy Verdell. Um, I oppose the supplemental uh, submission number two. Uh, demolition by right, I think, is really going to be um, a bad usage. Um, I think it's bad government and it's bad planning to to add these things at the last moment. There's many um, developments you can discuss in, in due time, but putting this kind of fundamental change in at the last moment is seriously wrong. I would like to see growth along the corridor, but smart growth and also livable growth because we don't need to do urban renewal like they did in the 60s. We need neighborhoods that are neighborly. Thank you. Rebecca Mervish, followed by Sarah B. Um, hello, my name is Rebecca Mervish. I'm the president of Telegraph for People. Um, Berkeley has the opportunity to affirmatively further fair housing. Um, however, I was disappointed to see the distribution of opportunity sites on the map provided by staff. The current plan to basically isolate all of the new dense housing in the South and West echoes Berkeley's history of redlining and segregation. If we wanna be leaders in addressing our race's past and take strong action to mitigate climate change, we need to commit to allowing more housing in wealthy commercial corridors that are well-served um, by transit, including Solano, North Shattuck, and College Avenue. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Sarah B, followed by Phyllis Oreck. Hi, my name is Sarah Bell, and I live in North Berkeley. Um, oh, is the timer started? There we go. Um, I won't mince words. This draft housing element flies in the face of affirmatively furthering fair housing. Less than 3% of the proposed additional housing is going into highest income neighborhoods, while 55% is slated for lowest income neighborhoods. Um, and affirmatively furthering fair housing is not just a catchphrase. Research has shown that living in wealthy neighborhoods has substantial positive impact on children's outcomes, regardless of their own family's wealth. Um, so we need to make sure that our high resource neighborhoods share their wealth rather than treating our wealthy neighborhoods as de facto gated communities. And um, we know also what we need to do to fix this. We need to make it easy to build middle income, uh, middle missing middle housing. And we also need to upzone in particular at transit corridors such as Solano, North Shattuck, and College. We've got a legacy as the first city to implement single family zoning. Let's 
break down that legacy and show everyone how equitable Berkeley can be. Phyllis Oreck, followed by Carolyn. Hello, Mayor Aragon, Council. Uh, uh, thanks for sharing my thoughts on all your hard work. I like all three so, sorry, Phyllis, we're having difficulty hearing you. And Phyllis, the uh, connection is poor. Um, hear me now? Yes. Yeah. Uh, Better? We still are having difficulty, unfortunately. Uh, one thing I would recommend, yes, yeah, logging off and logging back on. Okay, we'll go next to Carolyn, followed by Andy Kelly. Hello, uh, Mayor and City Council people. Can you hear me? Yes. Uh, thank you. So I am a Berkeley resident. I've been a resident all my life. My family has been here since the 1800s. And I don't mean that that makes me particularly special, but it makes me unusual in the sense that I, in fact, have some history that I'm speaking about. And I find that the um, late breaking uh, demolition amendment too is, as Ms. Montage said, totally and completely illegal and will just result in further lawsuits. I don't know why the city would do that. I did participate in the housing element. None of my comments were noted uh, or responded to. Uh, I think that the amendment that's proposed will do nothing more than reward speculators and people who left their, their property vacant. Thank you very much. Andy Kelly, followed by Sophia DeWitt. Oh, yes, I have Zach Goldstein seeing me time. Um, my name is Andy Kelly. I'm speaking tonight as an elected member of the Berkeley Rent Board, not as a staff member of the city council. Um, I love the housing element. I think our city staff has done such a good job on it. Um, but I need to focus on what I think is problematic, uh, which is the amendments that were submitted uh, late to council that are incredibly substantive changes that have a tremendous impact on tenant protections. With recent changes in state law, the only way to preserve guaranteed existing rent-controlled units that fall into that category or will become rent-controlled as they age is to ensure that a discretionary waiver system remains in place. Whereas I support efforts to streamline that process and think they're well-founded, we can do so without eliminating discretion altogether, which is one of the last areas that the city has discretion on construction of, of lots less than four units. It's very troubling to me and to my colleagues on the rent board that no consultation or outreach was made to our elected body as is historically done and changes to the demolition ordinance. In fact, as a member of the four by four, this demolition ordinance is currently referred to staff for amendments and has been the subject of at least six 
ongoing consecutive um, hearings that we've had with our city council colleagues. So it was very surprising to learn that a very substantive change, perhaps the largest change that has been pr proposed to the demolition ordinance since I've been in office um, is being put in at the last minute on this proposal. I don't think there was an effort to hide it. I think it was done transparently, but I don't think anyone in the community who's not on this call is aware that this change is being considered tonight. And that's very troubling. So I do hope that that motion can be severed um, so that the, the good part of it can be worked out while we figure out a way to protect tenants from the unintended consequences of the potential to lose uh, their rent controlled status as a result of that amendment. Thank you. Sophia DeWitt, followed by Georgia Maslowski. Hello, good evening, uh, Mayor and City Council. Uh, I want to thank staff and City Council and community for their hard work on the housing element. And uh, I want to say on behalf of East Bay Housing Organizations that uh, we largely support the housing element and um, all the work that's gone into it. We know lots of community input has been received. Um, we do wish that TOPA would be included uh, as a separate program in uh, the housing element. Uh, and we also want to support uh, Amendment 1 by uh, Councilwoman Kesarwani uh, that would allow for upzoning um, in uh, high-resource neighborhoods in Berkeley, College, Solano, other places uh, in Southeast Berkeley as an important way to balance where uh, affordable housing goes and to affirmatively further fair housing. Thanks, and let's get this done well tonight. Thank you. We'll go next to Georgia Maslowski, followed by Michael Trujillo. Thank you very much for the opportunity to speak. I definitely support more truly affordable housing in Berkeley. My reason for participating tonight is that I have a strong objection to and concern about the fact that the supplemental was not made known to the public in time to be considered and for the council to really gain public input. I believe it was Ms. Wu who talked about the history of robust public participation in Berkeley. And that's my concern about what's being lost the way the supplemental was presented. So I'm, I'm neither saying pro or, or against those particular issues, but I'm very disturbed by the lack of opportunity for the public to learn about this and for the public to be heard. I hope you will reconsider that timeline and allow people to give more input. Thank you. Michael Trujillo followed by Kelly Hammergren. Good evening, my name is Michael Trujillo and I'm an attorney at the East Bay Community Law Center. We want to thank the planning department and other city staff who've analyzed Berkeley's housing challenges through the housing element update process. It's clear from the plan that Berkeley will face significant challenges, not only in providing enough housing for all residents, but also in addressing historical patterns of residential se segregation based on income, wealth, and race. 
So as the city acts to adopt this plan and shifts its focus to implementing it, we want to echo concerns from the Planning Commission about the risk of residential displacement over the coming years and the corresponding need to prioritize policies like the Tenant Opportunity to Purchase Act, TOPA, that are designed to prevent displacement. Uh, EBCLC is proud to support TOPA as a step towards an enforceable right to housing, and we are excited to see it included in earlier drafts of the housing element because it's an imperative tool for ensuring that new housing production in our community does not force existing residents to leave. Therefore, we request the City Council prioritize anti-displacement policies like TOPA as it moves to implement the latest housing element update. Thank you. Thank you. We'll go next to Kelly Hammergren, followed by Nathan Mizell. Um, thank you, and please add the presentation to the uh, post for this meeting. Uh, also, please reject the supplementals, reject the demolition by right. Uh, and I think Bryce Nesbitt has quite clearly defined that, that we already have state law that allows ADU and JADU with existing buildings. I do not live in the hills, I live in the flats. I understand the push for equity and spreading housing across the city. However, please do not make changes in the hillside overlay. It's not just fire and evacuation that we need to consider. We also need to remember the hillsides are a slide area and the mudslides that we are having right now should remind us of that fact and we should not be adding more density to that area. If you look at the map that I sent you yesterday, it quite clearly outlines those areas. Uh, so I'm very concerned about adding ADUs and other housing in the hillside. And please, please do not change the overlay. Thank you, Nathan Mizell, followed by Paolo La Verde. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Can you hear me? Yes. Hello, Mayor and Council. My name is Nathan Mizell. I am calling as the elected rent board commissioner. Um, I want to thank you, um, city staff and members of the public for all their work in reaching this housing element. Um, I think it's critical at this juncture that we obviously focus in on our efforts to reduce displacement and ensure folks can stand their homes in the city. I think as we do that, it's critical that we consider all the methods carefully that we take in that process. Um, you know, I speak now um, really to stress that we take a moment to focus in on the supplemental um, to allow full stakeholders to have the opportunity to review it and to fully understand its impacts. Um, I think we've heard from my colleagues um, from the board that this supplemental and its by right demolition has simply not been something discussed and something that has to be scrutinized greatly. So I ask at this juncture that you reject it. Um, that we have that full conversation and that ultimately we do our full effort to end displacement in the city and hopefully, hopefully very soon get to passing TOPA. And I, I look forward to work with all of you to make that happen. Thank you very much. Paolo Laverde followed by Becky O'Malley. Thank you. Um... Uh, Mr. Mayor and City Council, Paula Laverde here, Chair of the Berkeley uh, uh, 
uh, Tenants Union, former Remport Commissioner. Last night, Council Member Kasawani filed a supplemental item that makes substantive changes to the housing element with less than 24 hours notice and no community process. The Council must not use supplemental reports to make sneak attacks. The Council must maintain the trust of this community by providing notice of policy changes and reasonable community process. Council must not commit to by-right demolitions before establishing tenant protections and a requirement to replace old rent-controlled units with new rent-controlled units. This item must go first to the 4 by 4 committee. Please follow the recommendation of the Planning Commission and consider the Tenant Opportunity to Purchase Act, which is actually the brainchild of the mayor. It provides pathways to pathways to ownership for tenants, stabilizes housing for existing tenants, and protects rent con um, rental housing from speculative vesting investment by keeping it in the community. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, we'll go next to Becky O'Malley, followed by Jeff Baker. The supplemental, I'm sorry to say, I have not yet read. I have another life besides Berkeley. And I know about it only because of the number of people who have called me who are up in arms by the transparency of this ordinance, the transparent dishonesty of this proposal. Um, I worked with the late John English for a year or two trying to fix the problems with the current demolition ordinance. Before that, I worked with other members of the Landmark Preservation Commission, including um, uh, the uh, the LPC secretary in those days was Mark Rhodes. Mark Rhodes reshaped Berkeley's ordinances to benefit himself, and he's now a fixer um, for people who want to build in Berkeley. The whole thing is a, a long trail of transparent dishonesty, which is very, very upsetting. Jeff Baker, followed by Matthew Lewis. Hi. Uh... I'm Jeff Baker. I live in the flat part of town here in uh, District 5, and um, I strongly support the amendments that are on the table tonight. I think that giving small-scale developers the certainty that they need, that they won't be stopped by one of these bad-faith landmarking uh, attempts, is going to revolutionize development in the city of Berkeley at a human scale and in a livable way. The Landmarks Ordinance is always used in bad faith these days. And the idea that it is enshrined by CEQA is completely preposterous. The preservation ordinances were passed in the middle of the night in 1974 without CEQA review, and the council is at perfect liberty to reform them, to reform the demolition requirements, and to do any other thing that they want with the LPO. So again, I strongly support the by right demolition amendment that is on the table tonight. Matthew Lewis, followed by Jay Martin. Thank you very much, Mr. Mayor, and thanks to the council for taking our comment tonight. Um, I do not envy the council's task here today. Uh, you, clearly, if you listen to the voices that want to extend the process and delay progress here, 
you're going to find yourself out of compliance with state housing law and then we get the builder's remedy in which case the city has no say over how the building goes if you don't listen to them and you follow the good advice um, around demolitions we could end up with a lot more housing but i want to point out that the target we're working for under arena is supposed to be a floor so i just want to express my disappointment that the city of berkeley is really only trying to do the bare minimum amount of housing that's possible it's not clear that you'll get there and i want to really focus on this demolition ordinance in particular I live in a house that I own that was built in 1924. It probably should have been torn down in the 60s or 70s. There's a number of homes in my neighborhood that are of similar nature that also should have been torn down. These are falling down dilapidated shacks that are incredibly expensive to maintain. If the city is serious about increasing affordability, it needs to make it easy to tear these down so that affordable units can be built. I live in one, it is very expensive. The three around me have all been bought by flippers and they're now going for over $2 million. I don't think that's the intent of the city. Thanks. Jay Martin, followed by Leah Simon Weisberg. Hi, um, I'm, uh, I'm a former ZAB chair and planning commission member. And um, I have to tell you this supplemental is concerning to me. Um, partly because it's been not known to the public nor the rent board. Uh, I think the language in it is a major change and the by right demolition is somewhat very concerning of one to three units. I think there are a lot of unintended consequences that are gonna be part of this. And it really does need to be studied from, a, and I'm a professional planner as well. It, it, it's, it's, I think it's got good intentions, but it really does need to be studied and I am concerned the way it was dropped at the last minute at a four o'clock meeting. Um, a lot of people are not happy about it, um, but just because they haven't heard about it and that's not really read about uh, what, what the details are. So I really strongly urge uh, the council to at least take a step back and study this. Thank you. Leah Simon Weisberg, followed by Vince Casalina. Good evening, uh, this is Leah Simon Weisberg, uh, the chair of the Berkeley Rent Board, um, echoing much of what people are hearing, which I think means a lot that the, you know, the Berkeley community is really uncomfortable with this supplement. It is really frustrating and troubling and I think disrespectful of all the work that different committees are doing when at the last minute um, things are put on uh, the agenda. We have been working, you know, I think as several people have said that the four by four has been working with the demolition ordinance and for this to, to come forward. As somebody who works across the state on housing issues, um, not having control over demolition, making it easy and, and having there be no um, oversight to demolitions really has had detrimental effects in many, many communities. And I really want to oppose the supplemental and appreciate if my council members um, also remove that from the housing element. Thank you. Vince Casalena, followed by Basak Altan. Hi. So I'm really concerned about the by right demolitions. I think that, that that's wrong, that there needs to be a process that the city follows and it can't just be, oh yeah, you can do it. Um, I'm more concerned, however, that this supplemental report came at the very last minute and did not have the vetting that 
the rest of this has had. And if, if, if this was something that the council member wanted, it should have been brought up along with the rest of the things. If you want to keep the trust of the community, you need to notice the policy changes, not just bring them in at the last minute. Thank you. Basak Alton, followed by Phyllis Oric. From Phyllis Oric, uh, Basak Alton, lower their hand. Phyllis, are you there? Uh, yes, I am. Can you hear me now? Yes. Oh, wonderful. Okay, well, thank you so much uh, for uh, getting me in again, and I'll try to keep it brief. Uh, I, I want to say that, I, that the, uh, uh, the housing element has such serious problems with it uh, that I think we stand in deep uh, danger of uh, going to state control. And the uh, supplemental introduced by yourself and council member Sherwani uh, goes a long way towards uh, correcting and addressing that. Um, a couple of quick points. Many of the sites listed would not seem likely to be developed in sufficient quantity for Berkeley to meet its housing mandate. And the city has not provided any evidence that the owners intend to develop them for this purpose. For instance, Pegasus Books, Ledger's Liquors, the Berkeley Patients Group, Omega Salvage, East Bay Nursery, Benton McLaren, Paper Plus, the CVS on Telegraph, and on and on. Secondly, the inventory relies on deaccessioning public land and church-owned land, both of which actions will proportionately impact lower-resourced communities. And finally, um, the inventory is really based uh, on the same old, same old redlining, as the uh, previous speakers have noted. Thank you. Michael Dietmeyer, followed by Ida Martinak. Hi. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so my name is Michael Dittmer. Um, I'm formerly a student at UC Berkeley, and then I lived in the city of Berkeley um, while I was working. But unfortunately, I firsthand discovered um, how high the cost of housing can go. Um, I'm a little bit newer to the housing element, but I wanted to speak um, up in favor of the TOPA element to allow the community right to purchase housing. Um, I did take a little bit of a look at the housing element, and I do think that one element um, that concerns me is that um, real estate values could fall a lot, especially in the current interest rate environment. So I think that if there's a way for the city to consider ways that, um, let's say that if a nonprofit or a community land trust wants to buy out a property, um, if there is a fall in real estate values, to what degree can the city provide protections? Um, maybe that's federal or state funding to help provide for the shortfall, to the degree that it's legally possible, ways to get out of certain liabilities or debt. Um, I think TOPA is the right call. I just think that in the current environment, there should be some protections in case real estate values fluctuate. Ida Martinak, followed by Donna Demar. Good evening, Mayor and Council. Um, I am uh, a newly uh, elected member of the uh, Rent Board um, and would like to echo my fellow Rent Board Commissioner concerns that um, this was a last minute change 
um, this change is not a mere correction. It is a substantive and serious change. And uh, the rent board and um, the four by four uh, committee need to be given the opportunity to study this language and its impacts, uh, the intended as well as unintended impacts before uh, the city council votes on it. Um, this is very last minute and I'm not pleased with that. Thank you very much. Donna Diedemeyer, followed by Carol Stone. Hi, um, I just also wanna echo what the last woman just said. I am, I'm not connected at all in the, in the real estate industry or the rent board or anything like that. I'm not a tenant, but I do know that as a resident, I cannot possibly digest what just came to us in that supplemental uh, in the few hours that there were for me to even know about it. I strenuously object to a process that does that, that makes us make incredibly difficult decisions and weigh in on things that we have no time whatsoever to process and, and to think about. Um, one of the speakers previously said that he, he approved the supplemental because in the middle of the night, back in the 1970s, something was put in and this would correct it. And I would suggest that this is in the middle of the night in 2023 that we're trying to do a correction. And the two are equivalent. Neither one is the right process. Please give us time to think about this and know whether it's the right thing or the wrong thing. I'm not taking a position on it. I am just saying I can't tell in this amount of time. Thank you. Carol Stone, followed by Basak Alton. Hi, I am a longtime Berkeley resident um, who raised my children and I now have grandchildren in the district. And I uh, wanna speak to the supplemental demolition ordinance. Um, it is, I agree with the people that say this is last minute. It hasn't been fully vetted. And um, there are unintended consequences that are likely to occur. And I ask you to please remove it from the housing element at this time. Thank you. Okay, Bas Basak Alton followed by Prakash Pinto. Hello, I am a resident of Berkeley for past 20, 23 years. Um, I agree with the previous speaker. Council must not use supplemental reports uh, in, in this last uh, minute fashion. It, uh, it's very insincere. Uh, council must maintain the trust of this community by providing notice of policy changes and reasonable community processes. And, and council must not commit to buy right demolitions before establishing important tenant pr protections and a requirement to replace old tenant, uh, old rent controlled units with new rent controlled units. Um, this is very troubling uh, as, as a city of Berkeley, we are discussing something and not in a very democratic fashion. Thank you. Prakash Pinto, followed by Henry Simons. 
Thank you, Mr. Mayor. Um, I just want to say um, I'm a former uh, ZAB member and served with Council Member Hahn very proudly and a former chair of the Planning Commission too. I've uh, been a professional planner um, and still am planning director at the Presidio Trust now. I just want to say I'm very concerned um, about the supplemental, not necessarily from a planning perspective, but from a process perspective. I, I can tell from all the number of comments um, that this is not how we do things in the city. As somebody who has taken public comment for many years on the ZAB, I'm concerned about that by right demolition. I think it does need some study. I think there are some unintended consequences that will happen. I've seen this in other cities when I was a consultant um, where they went to by right. I really think that it's worth studying, not to say that it might not be a good idea or a bad idea, but it really does need to be studied. I encourage the council to just take a step back and look at this a little bit more carefully. Thank you so much. Henry Simons, followed by Tanya. Henry, are you there? Do you wish to speak? Please unmute yourself. Hey, thank you so much, Mayor. Sorry about that. Um, I grew up in Berkeley and currently live in Emeryville with my wife and daughter, and we're hoping to move back to Berkeley to be closer to my parents and to be part of the wonderful Berkeley community. I'm so happy to see the amendments proposed by Council Member Kesarani because they will be, um, and I hope they'll be passed by the council today because it will make it much easier to build missing middle housing, which my family and many other families like ours can afford. Thank you so much. Thank you. Noelani Fixler, followed by Teresa Clark. Hello, good evening, council members and mayor. My name is Noelani Fixler. I'm a student at UC Berkeley and a member of Telegraph for People and a Transportation and Infrastructure Commissioner. I wanted to make a short comment regarding the housing element, echoing Rebecca Mervish's earlier concerns regarding unequal and concentrated development in Berkeley. I'm a resident of Northside, and there are several parking lots and other sites up here that would make fantastic candidates for development sites. Building additional housing on the north side of the UC Berkeley campus would alleviate the student housing crisis and allow many new newcomers the opportunity to live in this neighborhood. It is imperative that more affluent neighborhoods add additional housing during this process as well. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Teresa Clark, followed by Ilana. Hi, uh, thanks for taking my comments. Um, I'd really like to encourage support of the supplemental. I think we, you know, a lot of people have been talking about, you know, getting the equity, getting fair form of housing. And these are just a couple tweaks uh, to the housing element that are really important. In addition, you know, missing middle, we've been talking about trying to make this easier to develop for many, many years now. And these are, again, these aren't saying, you know, you're still gonna direct the staff to come up with the language for um, this particular program. You're not necessarily approving the program today. You're saying, hey, this is gonna be on our agenda for the housing element. And this is gonna direct staff to start working on the demolition ordinance and working on this new missing middle and other components. So I, I think it's the, the time is now to approve this in the housing element. So really appreciate these edits and all your work on this. Um, so 
good luck getting this passed. <laughs> Take care. Ilana, followed by John Sigma. Hello, everyone. This is Ilana Auerbach, and I just would like to mention the, the basic premise of uh, the need for 441,000 new units in California that was mentioned in the staff's presentation assumes that the, the population of California is growing when, in fact, uh, based on the 2020 census, we lost a congressional seat in the state of California. So, you know, just to take a really big picture step back, um, all this, who, where is all of this need to grow and need to develop every square foot anywhere on the planet coming from? Well, we know it's coming from Blackstone, BlackRock, developers all over the, you know, all over the world that are wanting to monetize um, the air and commodify housing. So please, we need to push back from that. And how do we do that? We make things actually affordable, truly affordable. So I encourage you, you must add TOPA to this um, housing element and please remove amendment two. Thank you. Okay, John Sigma followed by Bay. And those are the last two speakers. So I'd like to ask, are there, if there are any other attendees that would like to testify as part of this public hearing, please raise your hand at this time. John Sigma, you are now able to speak. With the um, relatively force of the gravitational, I would just think that with the brand new California state law, that the new legislation of the White House speakers uh, with the Rajel Robinson's Baltazar, you know what I mean? Yeah. That's all I really had to say about that. Tony Mester, followed by Bay. Um, thank you. Uh, first of all, I'd like to uh, congratulate the council for your meeting last night. You're probably going to laugh at this, but I was actually riveted by the conversation. I thought it was extremely uh, well thought out. People expressed themselves on very important subjects, and I thought you did a very good job. But I'm not going to wax eloquent on that, even though it's very dear to my heart, the changes you made. I, I wish that they would go into effect sooner. As far as last-minute changes in these um, processes we had, this last minute supplemental follows a pattern. You saw the same people changing at the very, very end the, um, the density incentives in the Adeline Carter plan. Very last minute, they wanted to add another story, which changed a very well thought out density plan and incentive plan. You saw a last minute change in the North Berkeley BART station even though we didn't have an EIR for the higher heights. So this is a pattern, reject it, maintain the trust, what little trust you have in the community, because if you think no measure L was anything else but a howl from the cities, from the citizens of Berkeley, whose trust you have lost. Thank you. Bay, followed by Bill Shearer. Hi, sorry, uh, my name's really Tanya. Um, yeah, I, I just want to reiterate what the last caller really talked about. And the fact that, you know, I, of course, haven't had time to read the supplemental. Um, I'm in District 1, and I think it's it's really unfortunate that the, the people who are supposed to represent 
us, in fact, do not represent us. I got no information from Rashi about this. I got informed by a third party about this meeting today. And I think this really calls to mind the not just the loss of trust that people are having with the city council, but really the fact that the city council has become truly anti-democratic. You guys actually need to reach out to your constituents and find out what your constituents want and what they would like for their city. Um, once I read it, I may love it, I may hate it, but that's not my point. My other point is that I, on a regular basis, go into these new places that have been built up. Mill Creek, for example, top university. One bedroom are now available for $32.50 to $35.50. They do have 31 available. Uh, the two bedrooms are available for $45.60 to $56.50. There are 18 available. You need to prove that your income is five times uh, the rent that you'll be paying that year. So what's being built in Berkeley is not affordable. I couldn't afford that. Luckily, I own my house, but there's no way anybody could afford that. And I really hope that you guys will start becoming more democratic and actually put the power of the city council and the mayor's office behind affordable housing, not just any housing. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Bill Shearer, followed by Judy. Hi, this is Bill Shearer. Can you hear me, Mayor? Yes, we can. Great. I, I live up the street from Sophie and got an email from her today saying uh, this supplemental was a surprise um, and maybe we should pause. At least that's how I interpreted her message. I'm impressed with her hard work and the other council members I've observed less closely. And to the extent that all of you believe that uh, this came too abruptly for considered thought, I support delaying. And would simply say it feels a little bit, maybe in a larger way, a repeat of what took place around the Gilman Street corridor when at the last second, substantial new facts were revealed, which caught everybody off guard. That's not the way to run, run the railroad, in my opinion. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Judy is our next speaker. Judy, we can't hear you clearly. It was the connection's not good. Judy, I would recommend you sign out and sign back in. We can't hear you. Okay, we'll go to Mayor, followed by Miranda Yule. Nayor, uh, you can ask uh, me. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Uh, hi, this is Nayor. I'm a resident of North Berkeley, and I just like to offer support for the supplemental. Uh, I strongly support uh, upzoning where I live and in the other high resource areas in Berkeley. And um, I think it would also be great if there's more opportunities to build missing middle housing in Berkeley. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. We'll go to our next speaker, Miranda Yule. And Miranda's the last raised hand that I have. So I'd like to ask, are there any other um, attendees that would like to speak as part of the public hearing on the housing element? If so, please raise your hand at this time. Shall I go ahead or? Yes, please. Thank you. Hi, this is Miranda Ewell. Um, and I just got an uh, email 
while I was cooking dinner saying what was happening at the meeting today. And um, I wanted to um, support all the folks who have spoken already on um, urging you to um, not accept this last minute uh, dropped in the middle of the night supplement. Um, one thing, one uh, point I wanted to make is that a lot of folks have been feeling like Sacramento has been becoming increasingly undemocratic on the uh, local uh, local cities controlling what is happening in their environment. And, um, um, and I urge you not to repeat that mistake at the local level. Um, I think an argument can be made that um, because the Democrats have been so overwhelmingly in power in Sacramento, that they are just uh, doing what they want to do in uh, hand in hand with developers who want to make a lot of money. They've already taken away a lot of rights from the localities about, you know, trying to figure out how to meet this housing crunch, which is something that in a city like Berkeley, I think most citizens want to do, want to do the right thing, but building you know, 30-story buildings, expensive condos, uh, apartments that rent for three, four, five, or six thousand dollars a month is not going to solve our housing problem. Thanks so much for your hard work. Thank you. Are there a last call for public comment as part of the public hearing on the housing element? Are there any other attendees who have not already spoken who would like to testify on the proposed 2023 to 2031 housing element? If so, please raise your hand at this time. Okay, we'll go back to Judy. And Judy, you should now be able to unmute yourself. Um, this is another Judy. Okay. Um, we I can don't know. hear this Judy, great. <laughs> you can hear me, right? Yes, we can, thank you. Um, I, I just am um, um, speaking in, just like the last person in, in support of delaying acceptance of the item one on the supplemental packet and actually studying it and going, you know, and having some public input to it. Um, but not not adopting it tonight. That's all I have to say. Thank you. Are there any other attendees who wish to testify in the public hearing on the proposed housing element? This is the last call for public comment. If so, please raise your hand by pressing the raise hand icon on Zoom and you'll be added to the speaker's queue. Last call for public comment. Last call for public comment. Okay, I wanna thank the, I think it was over 150 attendees who have been participating in this meeting and the many comments that we received. Um, and I will now make a motion to close the public hearing. Second. This is a procedural motion, so I will now ask the city clerk to call the roll on closing the public hearing. On the motion to close the public hearing, Council Member Kesarwani? Yes. Taplin? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. Hahn? Yes. Wengraff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. 
And Mayor Aragine? Yes. Thank you. The motion carries, thank you. So um, it's now in order for the city council to discuss and take action on item one. First and foremost, we received a, um, a supplemental from city staff, um, which includes um, some revised language in the resolution. Um, uh, the, um, let me pull up the supplemental. New information from other jurisdictions suggests the statement require finding in the proposed resolution, which specifically identifies the methodology used in preparing the site's inventory. And the correction is in track changes on page three of the resolution. So I move that we um, accept this revised material for consideration. Second. This is, once again, this is a procedural motion. So I'd like to ask the clerk to call the roll on accepting the supplemental material from city staff. On the motion to accept, Council Member Kesarwani? Yes. Taplin? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. Hahn? Yes. Wengraf? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. And Mayor Aragine? Yes. Thank you. Okay, the motion carries. So I'd like to kick off discussion and just provide some opening comments. And I want to first thank all of our city staff who've been working hard on the development of this housing element update, um, as well as the consulting team and the many commissions that have participated in this process and the many members of the public, hundreds and hundreds of people have attended um, workshops, have provided um, written comments, have participated in walking tours to help inform um, some of the priorities in the housing element update. And um, I wanna make sort of uh, several comments. One, that this update is necessary for us to comply with the requirements of state law, that we update our housing element of our general plan to reflect um, the um, allocation of our regional housing needs allocation to the city of Berkeley, which was 8,900 units, um, and show that Berkeley can accommodate its regional share um, of our housing need. Um, and um, as staff has noted in the report, um, we have a deadline of January 31st, so we need to act. So it is critical that the city council act tonight to adopt this housing element update. But as staff had also noted in their PowerPoint presentation, that there are many implementing actions that are talked about in this housing element that are gonna be going forward after tonight. Um, updates to zoning, the development of specific programs, including updates to our demolition ordinance, which are already underway. So this is a first step, but an important step for Berkeley to not only demonstrate its regional and statewide leadership on housing, but also to, um, to implement the many programs to protect tenants, to build and preserve affordable housing, and to produce new housing to meet the critical shortage that our city and our region, our state is facing. I'm proud that Berkeley was one of the first cities in the Bay Area to launch its housing element process. I'm proud that we've had an inclusive process that has um, engaged hundreds of Berkeley residents um, in helping develop these recommendations that are before us tonight. And I'm proud that Berkeley is really leading the region in not only producing new housing for people at all income levels, but with some of the strongest protections for tenants including rent control and um, demolition protections, which we must continue to put in place, especially 
as we transition out of this pandemic. And I believe that this housing element update, planning for up to 15,000 new units, 68% of our arena, over 68% of our arena allocation, that we're taking steps to, to honor the commitment that we made last uh, two years ago to end exclusionary zoning in the city of Berkeley. And I often say that I'm proud of many things um, that Berkeley has done because we are the first and we do, we do, um, we, we do demonstrate leadership and we do inspire um, local, statewide and national, international change. But one of the things I'm not proud of in the city of Berkeley is that we are the birthplace of single family zoning in our Elmwood district and single family zoning was established to prevent a dance hall in the, in the Elmwood district and to prevent people of color from living in this neighborhood. And that is the foundation upon which our zoning is built upon in the city. And we know that there are parts of our city that are economically and legally walled off to tenants and people of color and working families. And we have an opportunity with this housing element update to demonstrate our values, that we are a city of inclusion, that we believe in fair housing, and that we will demonstrate that in the policies that we are adopting, not just through this housing element, but the zoning changes that this housing element will, will implement. That includes not just middle housing, allowing um, neighborhood scale density in our single family residential neighborhoods, but looking at our commercial corridors in high opportunity areas. It is unfair that historically redlined neighborhoods and our flatlands are bearing a disproportionate burden of, of producing our city's housing. I believe that every part of our city, including every commercial district, should bear some responsibility to addressing our city's housing needs. And that includes my neighborhood in the North Shattuck District. Case in point, I live next to a five-story apartment building. That's currently illegal under the zoning in my neighborhood. I look across the street, there's the Bank of America parking lot. There's the Andronico's supermarket, a large parking lot there. You couldn't build a five-story building there. Talk about a great place to build housing and have uh, neighborhood serving retail. But that is currently prohibited under the zoning that is in effect. We have an opportunity to undo that through the recommendation that Councilor Kisarwani had submitted to begin the process of looking at upzoning some of these corridors that have long um, prevented um, new housing from being built. And I, once again, if we are committed to affirmatively furthering fair housing, which is a state requirement, if we believe in inclusion and equity, then we need to demonstrate that in our land use policy. But I think we can do that tonight. And, um, and then lastly, you know, I just want to reiterate that, you know, the demolition ordinance changes are underway. And um, my hope is that, you know, we can continue the work that we've done to uh, not just um, have policies that will allow new housing to be built, but to protect existing tenants from displacement and to make sure that housing that is being demolished will be replaced. And Senate Bill 330, which is state law, says that any protected unit that's demolished um, must be replaced. And, and that law will apply um, in um, cases of demolitions in Berkeley, in addition to our local requirements, which are some of the most stringent in the state of California. So um, I wanna thank staff once again for all their work. Thank the city council for demonstrating leadership once again and addressing our statewide housing crisis. I, I'm proud of this housing element update, including the amendment to look at, to explore upzoning some of our commercial corridors in high opportunity areas, because I believe it will create an opportunity not just to create new homes for people who live in Berkeley, work in Berkeley, but also will help undo the many decades 
of exclusion and economic segregation that sadly is the case here in the city and that goes contrary to the values that we all espouse and that we want to demonstrate, not just to the state of California, but to the nation. So thank you very much. Go next to Councilor Kessawani. Um, thank you very much, Mr. Mayor. I wanted to uh, just walk through the uh, supplemental that I proposed. Is it okay to share my screen to do that? Yes. Okay. So, um, so first of all, let me just thank staff uh, and uh, for for your incredible work um, over the course of I think this past year to bring this housing element before us. I wanna thank members of the public who are here tonight, as well as the um, folks who provided comments on draft versions of the housing element. And I am one of the people who provided comments. Back in July, I wrote a 10-page letter saying that we needed to do more to affirmatively further fair housing. And that means rezoning transit and commercial commercial corridors in the highest resource areas of our city, specifically Solano Avenue, North Shattuck Avenue, and College Avenue. And the supplemental that I have put together with the support of the mayor and council members Taplin and Humbert is not adding any new programs. It is simply seeking to make clear the commitments that this council is intending to make and is seeking to align with the council referral that was unanimously adopted in March 2021 related to zoning concepts for consideration for this housing element. That referral included rezoning commercial and transit corridors. It also included exploring middle housing and, uh, and making it easier to create middle housing. So let me just go through the changes that we are proposing to the two programs um, and, and what you see here in track changes are additional uh, tweaks on top of the supplemental. So, so I, I wanted to here change this wording back to study because I, I think some people are interpreting this change as seeking to water down our commitment to design standards, public improvements, and mechanisms to incentivize affordable housing on San Pablo. So I want to make it very clear, we, we are not watering down that commitment. We want to study that. But we also want to make clear that we want to increase the densities and development capacity on San Pablo Avenue. And at the same time that we do that, affirmatively furthering fair housing requires and demands that we rezone the transit and commercial corridors in the highest resources uh, areas of our city. And so this is the language uh, that we are proposing to tweak uh, in a very minor way um, in the housing element. It is on page, for those following at home, it's one page 142 of 656. And and I'll just I'll just read through how this paragraph will now read if we were to adopt these changes. Uh, the city will update zoning map and development standards to accommodate housing capacity and growth on transit and commercial corridors, particularly in the highest resource neighborhoods. That was already in the document and what we are adding follows. So we're saying pursuant to the affirmatively furthering fair housing requirement, these updates will increase allowed densities and or development capacity 
with the goal of achieving consistency among all transit and commercial corridors, especially between formerly redlined areas and higher resource areas of Solano Avenue, North Shattuck Avenue and College Avenue. Uh, this is something that I think is very important for this council to adopt, uh, to make it very clear that we are serious about affirmatively furthering fair housing. We are serious about equity. And I can't be the representative for District 1 and commit to increasing density on San Pablo Avenue if we don't also make that same consistent commitment for the other commercial and transit corridors in this city. So, so we are not asking for major changes. We are just simply asking to make our intentions clear. Um, and then with the specific actions and timeline, we have a deadline of December, 2026, but our housing shortage, shortage is an urgent crisis. And so what we are also proposing tonight is that we commit to initiate this work within one year of certification of the housing element. Um, and this is actually something our, our state Senator Nancy Skinner wrote a letter about today, the urgency of pursuing this work right away. Um, so that's what we have in program 27. And let me just take a moment to talk about program 29. I, I so appreciate all of the public comments tonight. I was not trying to do something sneaky or under the cover of darkness. What we were trying to do is make sure that the council's intention to make middle housing by right, which is already stated in the housing element, it says that we will do middle housing by right, but to actually effectuate that goal, we have to consider demolitions by right. And I've heard the feedback. And so I just wanna present some changes that incorporate the feedback that we heard. First, we've changed residential structures to single family home because that was really what we had in mind. And we don't want um, concerns about uh, demolition of rent controlled units to be a distraction because it's the, the majority of what we're talking about is single family homes. So we've just changed the language. And as, as we all know, single family homes are exempt from rent control. So what we have here is clear language that commits the city to consider eliminating the requirement. I wanna make it clear that we've added the word consider because we do want to be respectful of public process. I very much want the input of the rent board. And um, you know, I regret that we didn't have an opportunity to consult them before we introduced a supplemental. It was the holidays, I, I was out of the country. And, and so I, I do apologize for that, but we do wanna get your input. Um, and, and so what we are saying here is we wanna consider eliminating the requirement of a use permit to demolish single family homes for applications that add net density and have not been occupied by tenants within the past five years. I do wanna be clear, we're not talking about large apartments in residential zones. This language is in the middle housing section. So we're talking about duplexes and fourplexes. That's what we're contemplating. So making it easier, if somebody wants to, if they have a need and a desire to demolish their single family home and create a duplex, that's what we will consider uh, allowing that to happen by right. Um, but we're saying, you know, we want to make sure there are no tenants within the past five years in that single family home. And I, out of consideration for what we heard tonight, 
we've also added a sentence that we will refer this policy for consideration to the four by four committee of the city council and rent board. And similarly, we just have a uh, specific actions and timeline paragraph that's been added to say that we're going to consider this within the next year that aligns with our timeline for incorporating middle housing. We want to do that this year. So we want to ha have consideration of uh, this policy change over the next year. And we, we specify again, we want to refer it to the four by four committee. So with that, um, that's all I have. I, I'm happy to take questions on this, uh, but I, I would defer back to the mayor. Okay, thank you. Um, I'll just note that um, both of these things are consistent with previous council referrals. One to look at, and I'm, I'm referring to first and foremost, the um, March 25th, 2021 item entitled Initiation of Public Process and Zoning Concepts for the Housing Element Update and specifically the Zoning Concepts for the Focusing Growth on Transit and Commercial Corridors. And then moreover, the referral around exploring by right middle income housing or missing middle housing um, that's something that we have discussed actively as part of the objective standards conversation that's been going on simultaneously. So I just want to put that in context as well. So um, I guess um, I'll we'll open it for further discussion. Who would like to go next? Councilmember Robinson. Sure. Why not? Uh, hey. Good afternoon. Um, it goes without saying, we are all incredibly excited that the housing element is finally being brought to council, uh, a process that really will determine the future of Berkeley and is the culmination of years of work. Uh, planning staff and the housing advocates have worked long and hard to make sure that our housing element plans for the homes it needs to and keeps Berkeley on track to be a housing leader in California. Uh, it was it's 2023, so it was two years ago now that we voted uh, to end exclusionary zoning. This housing element is a continuation of that importance and progressive work. There are cities all over the state putting up a fight in this process, uh, resisting the state's call to build the housing that we need to respond to the housing shortage and the housing crisis. Berkeley can show that we are committed to fair housing abundance. And obviously, that fight goes on long past adoption of an element today. The, uh, the South Side rezoning is ahead of us yet. The Middle Housing rezoning is ahead of us yet. Uh, and from there, the ambitious work of rezoning our transit and commercial corridors. Uh, I'm incredibly confident that our housing element uh, is a progressive step in a strong direction for our city and will lead to fair housing developments. Uh, confident that it will be certified by HCD. And I really want to thank staff for laying out so clearly uh, for us, the rounds of feedback that we've received, uh, particularly our responses to the uh, the last November 8th letter from HCD. Uh, it's really disorienting to remember when we first got our Rihanna numbers, uh, those 9,000 units. To many in our community, that sounded incredibly intimidating. Uh, but in fact, it will not take major rezoning for that benchmark to be reached, which is why it's so important and exciting that we're going above and beyond what we're required by the state in order to make sure that we meet and exceed our housing goals uh, and make good on our obligation to affirmatively further fair housing. 
I grew up in the suburbs of one of the most segregated cities in the country, a, uh, a city that, like many, has used zoning as a weapon to marginalize communities. And I'm so proud of the work that we're continuing to do to rectify that wrong right here where single-family zoning was born. Uh, a couple feelings I want to highlight. Uh, there has been so much outreach and process to the community to, to engage our residents in this important decision, uh, so much engagement of our council. Grace and the whole team, really, I want to thank you. There's so much to digest, but I feel very lucky that I feel incredibly ready for this vote today. Uh, and that's because of the process that brought us here. I'm proud of us for beginning the housing element process so early. I'm proud of us for, I hope, walking out of it with such an ambitious element to adopt into our general plan. I also want to reiterate, you know, I think this keeps coming up. The site's inventory map is not the, the home of the rezoning work that is ahead of us. Uh, it's just identifying sites that may be especially easy to redevelop to inform what expectations are realistic from our zoning map. Uh, it identifies enough sites that can be redeveloped under the current zoning to meet that roughly 9,000 number, but we're going above and beyond that by committing to significant rezoning near campus and Southside and the missing middle work uh, to abolish exclusionary single-family zoning, including, I think, and especially, and that's important, and especially uh, in high-resource areas. So adopting this, that doesn't preclude us from rezoning high-resource commercial corridors and the, and the work that follows. I want to speak briefly to the supplemental from Councilmember Kesserwani. I uh, really want to thank you for the amendments that you provided just now uh, and thank, I don't know if anyone from Senator Skinner's office is on the line now, but her office for the letter that the council received earlier today. Um, I really believe that the, uh, the language submitted in the supplemental improves uh, our commitments to densifying transit corridors, especially in high-resource neighborhoods. You know, I really believe that the housing crisis and climate crisis demand that we not be satisfied with studying these issues, that we need to commit to building the new transit-oriented housing and affordable housing that we need, especially in our high-resource neighborhoods. Uh, while I'm on the subject of the supplemental, I'm very sympathetic to the feeling that the proposed demolition policy changes would be pre-committing policy decisions that haven't happened yet. Uh, I think the consider language, Councilmember Kessamari, that you just presented uh, is an improvement to me. Although I, you know, I do think you know, this is a conversation that we'll have as a, as a council and as a committee in months to come. By right demolition is absolutely something we need to seriously consider if we want to make middle housing approvals be by right, which may be necessary if any of the rezoning is to have the impact that we hope it will. This, uh, this housing element, I feel very confident, really reaffirms Berkeley's commitment to being a pro-housing city that confronts the housing crisis head on. I'm really proud of where we are and excited for this vote today. Uh, I'm not interested in alternative one, alternative two, or alternative three. Uh, thank you, staff, for presenting those so elegantly. And I'll leave my comments there for now and look forward to hearing from my colleagues. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, for purposes of discussion, I'd like to make a motion to adopt the staff recommendation for item one, to adopt a resolution as revised in the supplemental material that we accepted today, um, to certify the environmental impact report and adopt the related CEQA findings, statement of overriding considerations, mitigation measures, and a mitigation monitoring reporting program, and approve and adopt the general plan amendment up to update the housing element of the general plan for the period of 2023 to 2031, reflecting 
the amendments that Councilmember Kesselwani presented this evening. Second. Thank you. Councilor Hahn. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> okay, sorry, just got to add something to my notes here. Uh, so first of all, I really wanted to thank, I want to thank staff for the incredible job they've done. This has been a very long process. It's complicated. It's a ton of work. There are a lot of moving pieces. And um, I've already thanked them privately. I'm not going to spend too much time on that here, but I couldn't start my comments without um, without a shout out to them and the consultants for and the planning commission for, for all their incredible work. I strongly support staff's draft um, as they presented it to council. Um, and um, I would have liked to see more parcels in District 5 uh, included in the inventory. I actually spoke with staff about that. Um, obviously, some of the ones the mayor called out, he called out the Safeway that he lived near, uh, and the Bank of America parcel, which is uh, essentially next door. Um, those are both huge parcels that are ripe for housing. Um, there's also uh, three Safeways in my district, and they're all on pretty big parcels. Um, there's a there's a gas station at the corner of Calusa and um, Solano. Um, there are a couple of other uh, lots. Uh, we we do have a problem with very shallow parcels in a lot of these um, more neighborhood commercial areas. Um, so I don't think they end up being very desirable because they're they're super narrow. But there are quite a few that are uh, very very good parcels, and I did ask staff if we could add them. They said that it would be complicated. Um, I think if I understood correctly, they may not have been studied in the CEQA analysis, and more importantly, that not including them did not impact our ability to actually develop them. And sort of in the um, effort to kind of get the housing element done, uh, they suggested that it was better not to try to add them. So I did want to just let folks know that I had, I myself had noted the absence of um, a number of parcels that I think are very, very good for housing development in my district. I do have some concerns about the supplemental as it was presented. And, um, you know, the uh, amendments to the supplemental, I would like to have the opportunity to see a little better, but I don't want them up on the screen right now. Um, some of them seem to move in a better direction for me and some less good, but I, my comments here are based on the proposal that we got yesterday at 5 p.m. Um, and I obviously have not had the opportunity to think about the additional changes that just came to us five minutes ago. I, staff was very careful, and I spoke at length with staff about this, and you know, people want to confirm they can talk with them in their draft not to include any policies that the council has not yet acted upon. So an example of that, which I had brought up, was TOPA. TOPA has been referred, has shown up on an agenda. It went to a council committee. It has been heard numerous times by that council committee, and it was even voted out of committee but it's never been voted on by the city council. And so staff, I think wisely chose 
not to include it in their draft. Um, we cannot, I believe we cannot pre-commit the council to take action in the future that we haven't taken yet. And I thought that made a lot of sense for TOPA. I think it makes even more sense um, with this supplemental that came in very, very late. And that in my opinion, um, puts forward pretty significant policy changes. Um, I really don't think that's how we should be making and changing policy in Berkeley. Uh, the concern about um, the distribution of, of, of parcels and of areas to consider for upzoning has been out there for a long time. And any council member could put a, an item in over the last year and a half, could have referred an item for, for either of these ideas. And it would have gone through the normal process. It would have been referred by council, maybe to a committee. Then from the committee, it would have come out and gone to council. Council would re refer it to staff and the planning commission. Staff would do research. Maybe they'd need a consultant. They would do the normal process. They would bring it to the planning commission. The planning commission would hear it at a number of public meetings. And after all that, it would come to the city council. And we might accept it the way it came to us, modify it, reject it. But that is how we change land use policy in the city of Berkeley. And I really think that is something that we should continue to follow. Now, I do want to say that my concerns, my process concerns, while they are, they apply to both elements of the supplemental, they apply, I, I have much bigger concerns about part two. And let me just speak to part one, first of all. I support um, including Solano Avenue, North Shattuck, and College Avenue in our study of upzoning. I've always supported it, uh, and we did reference that, and I'm going to share my screen. We did reference that in the referral that we originally, maybe just get it up here on my screen, in the referral that we originally made to um, staff. If I may share screen with this. Uh, there it is. So this is the referral that we made, and let me just- uh, Councilor Rahan, you might want to, un okay, great. Yeah, so I'm gonna make, make it a little sure bigger. Your, your there chat, we go. Your, your chat uh, window wasn't up. Um, are you, are we looking at the right thing, Mayor? Yeah. Okay, great. Um, so when we made, this is the referral, March 25, 2021. And here we, first of all, key principles, robust community engagement, equity, affordability, public safety, transit proximity, design, neighborhood context, and historic preservation, and tenant protections, anti-displacement, and anti-speculation. In addition, we prioritize development and PDAs. And we said to growth on transit and commercial corridors, um, we define transit corridors as rail or bus stop with frequency of 15 minutes or less. And that certainly includes 
North Shattuck and College and um, Solano Avenue. And we said they will be explored, maybe explored as potential locations to accommodate the vast majority of new homes. So I feel like at a minimum, we did refer the concept of upzoning all of the corridors. We haven't seen the studies, the analysis, we haven't voted on it, but it was there. The other piece of this referral, this um, supplemental from Council Member Keshawani and, and, and the others, is about by right demolition. And while we did talk um, about uh, incentivizing ADUs, um, exploring the possibility of up to three and four parcel units, and by the way, that was before SB9 had been adopted. Um, and so this is kind of, we, we referred SB9 before the state approved it. Um, we also said we should develop design guidelines, analyze a variety of building types, but here's what is important to me. Maintain historic fabric and character of neighborhoods, including prohibitions on the demolition of historically designated properties, limitations on the demolition of building facades or replacements resulting in significant increase to building mass, and explore opportunities for incentivizing reuse of existing buildings as a more environmentally sustainable growth strategy. So not only did we, in my opinion, not refer anything having to do with demolition, but we actually referred the opposite. And we, we went into that in much greater detail further down in this referral. Design neighborhood context and historic preservation with any zoning changes, it is important to consider scale and adopt thoughtful development and design standards in order to manage, among other things, maximum building height, building separation, open space, privacy, et cetera. Adaptive reuse of existing buildings and contextual additions should be incentivized for both contextual and environmental reasons. So, uh, we also talked about historic districts, historic designations should continue to be subject to review under the city's LPL. So I'm gonna stop sharing now, there's more in there, but I, I brought this up because not only do I feel that this is a brand new concept, but I actually feel that it goes contrary to a whole bunch of things that we actually did refer. And for that reason, I really feel that this does not belong here tonight. That doesn't mean that it could not be referred by the council member Kesserwani and this group. They would like the city council to explore this concept. I feel very strongly the better way to do that is to remove it here. It has never been discussed or referred. The contrary has been referred and put it forward to the city council as an item. And it'll go through the normal process. It'll go to a committee, 
it'll go to the council, staff will review it, planning commission will have public hearings and consider it, and it'll come back to council. I feel that is the way that a brand new idea like this should be brought forward. So I personally do not support including that this evening. On the um, first piece, um, I uh, prefer, I, I believe, although I, I haven't had time to study Councilmember Kesarwani's second set of changes, but the language that was already presented um, in her written supplemental, I feel is appropriate by just changing two words, which is that I don't think we can pre-commit. The city will update the zoning map. I think we will, we have already referred to look at that. And so the language should be, we will evaluate as it was originally from staff. And then where it says these increases, uh, these updates will increase allowed densities, et cetera. I think we should say we'll consider, these updates will consider increasing allowed densities. And I like the language about the goal of achieving greater parity. I did go back and look at the letter from um, Nancy Skinner and her letter suggested language um, which said, within one year of the certification of the housing element, the city of Berkeley will initiate a zoning and development analysis pursuant to the affirmatively forwarding fair housing requirement that examines the upzoning of Upper Solano, North Static, and Elmwood for the purpose of allowing significantly increased development feasibility for new housing. So even State Senator Skinner is, is just asking for us to initiate zoning and development analysis. And I really think that um, it's not appropriate for us to make definitive commitments about things that council has not yet acted on. Um, I, my last comment here, um, I did see that council member Kesarwani was suggesting uh, referring the um, demolition idea to the four by four. I do think the four by four should hear it, but I also really think it is worthy of a separate referral to the city council. Um, ultimately, it's a land use and policy decision within the purview of the city council. And I think it would be appropriate to pull it from here and do a separate item referring it to the council and to the four by four. It's a great idea, um, but I don't think it should be here. Last but not least, Mayor, um, given that you made your motion so early on, uh, first of all, I'd like to have a clarification on, I was a little confused as to whether your motion was to support the Kesarwani written supplemental or the supp her supplemental with her proposed amendments. The supplemental with her proposed amendments, which I have right here. Okay, could that somehow be emailed to all the council members so that I would say so I would argue since the we read the amendments in the record and motion was made that the city clerk is able to distribute that. Um, yeah, I would appreciate that. I think so, Miss Bunting, um, I sent it to you. Did you receive the email? I did, Mayor. Thank Could you me. share that with the council since we read the amendments in the record and doesn't 
therefore it doesn't need to be accepted pursuant to the open government ordinance. Yes, okay. I can do that. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Mayor. My other question here is that I would like, I, I would have brought this up later, but you already made a motion. I would like to sever the vote. And I've already checked with the city attorney, um, and I think we should check with her again here in public, but uh, she said that she does not see, back, let me find the exact words that she said to me. Well, let's, um, why don't we ask the city attorney since she's present to speak yeah, for herself. She said that- um, no, no, I'd like to ask Ms. Brown. Yeah, so go Ms. for Brown, it. you've heard the request to sever. And I, yeah, clarify, I just want to clarify- you, What are you asking I'm that we're severing? What I, that's what I was gonna clarify. What I'm asking, I, I don't have a problem doing the EIR and the staff um, uh, um, proposed uh, draft in one, in one vote. What I would like to sever is the votes on the two other, um, the okay, two so pieces Council Member Kesterwani's supplemental. Um, if she chooses to go forward with both of them, and I hope, I hope that she does not, um, then I would like to be able to vote on I, I, on each of those separately. So that's my request. Um, so Madam City Attorney, good evening. Um, good evening, you, Mr. Mayor. You heard the request. To, um, could you give us some guidance as our parliamentarian about uh, the process here? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I believe that uh, those parts can be considered separately. So it's severable. Okay. So our rules do do prescribe that if a member requests severance and the provisions are severable, that we will we will we will automatically sever. So we will um, proceed with your request, Councilman Hahn, pursuant to our rules. Thank you very much, Mayor. That's that's those are all my comments for now. Appreciate. Okay, thank you. So just to clarify, given that um, our council members requested severance, we'll vote on the the two amendments that the city clerk just sent um, that were. Introduced by Councilor Kesselwani and co-sponsored by myself, Taplin, and Humbert. And we'll vote on that first, the inclusion of those amendments into the housing element. That that motion, at the conclusion of discussion, if that motion does prevail, then it will be incorporated. If it doesn't, then it won't. And then we'll vote on the balance, the, the CEQA certification and the um and the housing element approval. Mayor, and, and I did, I actually was asking if we this is good, but I was asking if we could vote on each of the amendments separately. Parts that one. was not clear based on what you had said, but thank you for clarifying that. May yeah. I also, Mr. Mayor, uh, sorry to interrupt, but I think it's Please. procedurally cleaner if we vote on the CEQA certification first. But that's, that's, that's contained in the resolution. And the resolution is not just approving the CEQA, but also the housing element update. We weren't provided a separate resolution. Okay. If I'm not mistaken, correct? That's right. I think they're in one mo in one resolution. They are. So why don't we just why don't we go ahead with voting on after the conclusion of discussion, Amendment One and Amendment Two, and then we'll and then if those both prevail, then they'll be included, and if not. Then they won't, and then we'll vote on the, the adoption of the resolution, including or not including on the basis of the, the previous motion. Okay, so we're clear about the, the process. Uh, Councilor Harrison's next. Thank you very much. Um, 
I want to follow up on, on the mayor's comments about uh, being proud of Berkeley. I'm also proud of our legacy of fair housing that was brought to us by um, Rumford in the 60s. And I think we tend to forget that history um, and talk a lot about what happened in the beginning of the 20th century and not reflect on the fact that Berkeley has been a place committed to fair housing for many, many, many decades. Um, and in that regard, I am concerned about the, the distribution of the, the opportunity sites in the city. As um, mentioned by Councilmember Councilor Wani, this tends to concentrate development in the center part of the city and in West Berkeley. Um, and it is, it is a problem that we continue to, to struggle with. So in honor of that legacy of, of um, Byron Rumford, I'd like to see us move more quickly on, on that. Um, I do want to ask the, the um, planning director a couple of questions about how we ended up here, because I don't want to leave the public with the impression that the planning department proactively decided to concentrate this development in West Berkeley. I believe it had to do with the zoning. Isn't that correct? You were looking for opportunity sites that fit the current zoning. Is that right, Mr. Klein? Thank you, Councilmember Harrison. And I'll, I'll take first crack at this and then turn it over to Grace. But I think I think it's more accurate to say that we were following a very specific set of criteria provided by HCD and established uh, by through through state law for the uh, for the site inventory site selection process. And the criteria that we use, which are described in the staff report um you know identified and led to the the sites that are identified in the site inventory uh, grace can you what, what more would you add to that no that's precisely it and i just want to reemphasize that um one you know one of those is the physical characteristics of sites and as council member han mentioned um in certain areas of berkeley there are narrower shallower lots and one of the criteria that hcd looks for are um larger lots or lots that are under the same ownership, which have the potential to be consolidated. Um, mm -hmm. And partly why um, that algorithm created that map. But like I mentioned, um, it doesn't mean other sites aren't developable. There are opportunities for infill as part of our programs and policies. Okay, thank you. And th does this also relate to the low building to land value piece of this, that buildings in, and I'm not saying we shouldn't develop there, but buildings in the hills are more valuable relative to the land than perhaps in other neighborhoods. That's a criteria you've listed in your supplemental that we received today. And maybe Veronica Tam would like to jump in on that as well, but um, these are based on county assessor data. And so whatever the assessor, tax assessor has on record for land value and for, um, and for building value um, is what we used. And we used ratio of that. I don't know, Veronica, if you wanna add anything to that. Um, sure. I think um, we didn't use just one variable to, no. to evaluate sites, and that's the reason because um, when you use kind of assessor data, it may not be the most updated um, because it's always lack about six months behind uh, whenever you, you get the data. And that's why the um, when selecting the site inventory, we did, we did use a variety of um, variables, but most of the data still came from the assessor data, such as square footage of the building. So therefore calculating lot coverage, calculating um, floor area ratio, those are all um, objectively developed based on data that we um, uh, obtained from um, ABAG. Right. I guess my point is that your department did not do this in a biased fashion. 
it occurred because of things criteria like low building to land value, floor area ratio relative to trends, condition of structures, right? And many of these criteria came from the state. So we, we have this sort of set of criteria that I think the state has biased development in poor mm-hmm. neighborhoods. I don't like the way they have set up this scheme. We're trying to correct for that, I think. And I just wanted to point that out because I think there was a lot of mail that sort of implied that somehow this was an active decision being made. And I, I do not agree with that. I think we were stuck with these criteria. That bias, as they do in all communities, us towards redeveloping in poor neighborhoods and displacing poor people. That's unfortunately the bias we've always had as a, as a society large writ large and we were stuck with these criteria so I just wanted to make that point it was very important to me um I did have a question about the criteria though and why you remove Monterey market sites Jordan do you want to field that one sure I mean I think that this was a reflection of community feedback and you know of I, I think a lot of uh, community members that we heard from interpreted the inclusion of uh, the Monterey market parcel as um, a lack of uh, value for an existing um, that institution um, in Berkeley. Um, and I mean, to your point, Councilmember Harrison, our staff and consultant team were very neutrally and without bias applying a a methodology and using objective standards for clearly defined criteria. And through that process, we ended with the first draft of a site inventory. We only made minor changes around the edges to that site inventory based on input that we received from community members, which really helped inform, I think, likelihood of redevelopment of particular parcels, right? And so, And so I think that was part of the decision to remove that parcel from the site inventory. Okay. Well, we have food deserts in Berkeley, and we have those mainly in Central and West Berkeley. And I noticed that all of my grocery stores are on this list. I want to say that I think that is one area where we were biased, and I have a concern about that. I love Monterey Market. I go there all the time. I want you to all know that. But I want to live in a city where people can bike and walk to needed commercial amenities. And my biggest concern with this entire schema is not changing the housing stock that we have, but losing cultural amenities or amenities that make it livable like grocery stores. So I don't see any criteria here about that. And that worries me a great deal. If we want people to be able to walk, bike, scooter to local stores, they need to have grocery stores. And pretty much we're identifying grocery stores throughout Berkeley as available because they happen to have parking lots. And we don't seem to distinguish between their parking lots and their store. So I don't know what to do about this problem. I don't know that it's solvable. I do feel, and I love Monterey Market, I don't want anyone to get me wrong, that we made an exception because of community outcry, but those people that live in lower resource neighborhoods could lose their food services. And I don't know what thoughts you have about working on that as a strategy. I, I appreciate that, Councilmember Harrison. One of the development trends that we've we've seen we've observed in Berkeley is that amenities uh, are often incorporated into 
the development projects um, in as part of new mixed use developments. We do in many of our commercial corridors require active frontage um, on the ground floor in commercial spaces. Sometimes we even see um, existing commercial tenants incorporated into the finished product. They're temporary displaced for 18 to 30 months while the construction process is underway, but then there's they're, they become the tenants in the newly comer, uh, created commercial spaces um, in, in the finished development project. So that's something that's a, that's a trend that we have observed in Berkeley. I'll just say that I moved to downtown from near Thousand Oaks and I did that so that I could walk. And this plan says I'll have no grocery store. Most of the restaurants on my block will be gone. There's a feeling of those of us that live in less well-off neighborhoods are going to be over-impacted. And again, I don't put that down to you or your efforts, but I do see that. And I'm asking you to be cautious about that. The 18 months where there's not a grocery store is 18 months where people have to drive potentially. It's also going to be replaced by something where all the vegetables are wrapped in plastic. And that is not what I want in a city. And that's not why I live here. Or we're going to have things delivered, which is also an environmental total disaster. So we need to work on strategies. I don't know how to do this to integrate in the commercial needs we need to have a denser residential city that allow people to walk and bike to get to things. So I am just throwing that out there. That's my main problem with the original um, plan that we were going to be talking about tonight. I just wanted to to, to let people know that I'm very concerned about that. Um, I want to know about, if I could go back to slide 13 of Grace's presentation, we showed for the opportunity zones a really high percentage of affordable housing, I think. I think it was slide 13. I hope I got that right. And I don't know how we're planning to do that. You know, that slide that showed opportunity zones and then, yeah, there we go. Right. We're saying that we're going to have 3,200 of the 4,859 units at opportunity sites will be, I mean, 3,200 of the 4,859 low income will be at opportunity sites. Does that seem likely to you? Don't you think there'll be more market rate there? I don't understand that. Can you say so, more about how we came up with that? Yes, this is again based based on HCD's methodology, and so sites that are over are over 0.35 acres, and over um, 30 units per acre density trends, base density trends, and um, can't remember off the top of my head. Maybe Veronica can correct me, but have also met a certain unit capacity threshold. Those are the sites that we assume. For lower um, can meet uh, lower income capacity. So, so this How? is based through BMRs on... or through us doing things actively with nonprofits. How? What's the plan for that? That's a housing question, probably more than this is my big concern in combination with the fee discussion last night. I don't think in opportunity sites we're going to get this number of low income houses. Units. I don't. I just don't see how. We're, what's the strategy part of the document that tells me how we're going to do that? Yeah, I think Am that's I an excellent point, Councilmember Harrison. Our our the programs section of the 
uh, of the housing element does highlight some some of the existing programs that the city has in place, such as the Affordable Housing Trust Fund, um, to facilitate the development of, of low-income housing. But I think you're absolutely right that a con that one of the challenges that Berkeley and every municipality in California is struggling with is that there isn't enough funding or public subsidy available to uh, meet the housing production targets for deed-restricted low-income housing. Um, and I think it's particularly challenging when you look at performance in the fifth cycle for moderate-income housing, where there really isn't any subsidy available. Um, the funding source available uh, for a subsidy for moderate income housing, and yet municipalities are identifying as part of the as part of this program and this project. They're identifying specific goals for production, but unfortunately, we don't have all of the programs in place. Um, and uh, that's why we've seen we've 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 fallen short. Now we've we feel good about the programs that we've identified in. Um, in our housing element and that it really positions the city well as well as we can for for the sixth cycle i think another thing we could be doing is is requiring on-site affordable housing which is allowed after the palmer fix and i you're looking at opportunity sites to to carry that load because you can see in the pattern of the already likely sites and the sites that already have approval that they're not going to do it that's why you had to dump all of that affordable housing into the opportunity sites, because the current applications don't have that. We're not going to make it. We, and the reason I'm raising this is because of things like TOPA. I am really, I was completely fine with not including TOPA here because I was told, and I think Jordan, you and I had this conversation, and I think I spoke to the city attorney, that it had not been approved by the council as a policy. I really personally want us to pass TOPA. It had not been approved by the council yet as a policy, so we couldn't include it as a strategy. But we are including new strategies from the materials we received from council member Kasserwani. So I'm concerned because I didn't say, wow, I'm going to turn in a supplemental and say the council should vote on TOPA right now. And I'm not really ready to vote on the demolition part of council member Kasserwani's for the same reason. So I'm I'm really a little a little worried that we are introducing this these new policy initiatives when I was told very distinctly by your staff that we could not do that. That was our discussion. So uh, I, I'm I'm, I'm worried about it from that point of view. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I want to clarify, and I, I apologize if there was any miscommunication previously. But what we how we were characterizing was staff's recommendation, what was informing staff's recommendation. And the recommended housing element that we advanced um, was, and, and from the start, we we put forward a housing element that was reflective of the city's, uh, the city council's adopted policies or adopted okay. referrals, right? I, I hope I didn't, I hope I didn't communicate to you at any point that that meant that you weren't allowed to, put forward other ideas because it is council's prerogative to take policy actions as part of the housing element adoption. Okay. Well, I wish that that had been clearer to all of us. I would have done so as I believe TOPA is an incredibly important tool for affordable housing. Um, and then I have a, just a, a general question about mitigations and maybe this is for uh, Justin. If I can understand this a little bit better, I'm getting out. Okay. 
The mitigations that we have on page 846 for cultural resources, these mitigations are part and parcel of the EIR. Is that not right? Correct. They are, when we vote on this, we're voting for policy culture dash two historical resources discretionary review, which includes issues about demolition. I could read it, but I, I won't bother you uh, with it. But the reason we had the demolition ordinance says that we take everything that's older than 30 years and it goes through a landmark review. Now, most of the time, landmark says not worth saving. That's what really happens. Okay. We don't see a ton of these coming to us saying, please save this building. So if we vote on the EAR that has this, how can we vote on the demolition part of the memo that came to us yesterday? As it was not reflected, wouldn't you have to go restudy the EIR or take this out and lose one of your mitigations? Well, as you may recall from the presentation, we had noted that there is a significant and unavoidable impact for cultural resources that does exist even with existing city policies and even with the additional mitigation measure. Right, but we're making that possibly worse. And no, this says, it says as commit, a council member. It's not saying we're going to do it. It says it, it says that we will consider. It's not now saying it that we are. That. Now it says that. Yeah, correct. Now it says that. It didn't say that when we got it yesterday. So, okay. So, but this says for the cultural historical review, discretionary review, um, a historical resource assessment shall be performed. You would have to change that. We'd have to change the EIR. I don't think we can vote on the EIR because it says something that would be inconsistent with the policy memo. It's one of our mitigations. It is part and parcel of the EIR. I would respectfully suggest that question be answered by the city attorney. Yeah, great. Thank you. Madam City Attorney. What is, I'm sorry, can you repeat the question? I was asking Mr. Horner if the mitigations as listed in the EIR are considered an integral part of the EIR, and he answered yes. They are part of what we approve when we vote on the EIR. One of the mitigations in the EIR is culture dash to historical resources discretionary review, which says mm -hmm. that we do a historical resource assessment by an architectural historian or historian who meets these qualifications. And I won't read the whole thing. That is something wow. we would be voting on were we to vote on the EIR. I don't know how we can do that and also vote on policy option two as presented by council member Kasserwani. So that's our legal question for you. And I can come back to that. <laughs> you wanna think well, about that for a minute? Well, I, I think if I understand the question correctly, the policy option two is not being adopted. It's it's to consider it at a future point. So uh, there's no, I, I don't see a sequel impact at this juncture. It's okay. not, that language is not contradictory to also having the EIR certified and the mitigation measures be in place and sort of move forward. But at a future point, a new policy uh, might come about uh, as suggested by Councilmember Kesarwani, that may may or may not trigger additional CEQA work and and okay. will work itself uh, uh, through the process. So we'd have to redo that portion of CEQA where we to vote on that. Is that right? The, or, you would need to look at it and see if additional CEQA is required or not. Um, I think what Justin pointed out um, correctly is that there's already a lot of um, measures that, um, a lot of impacts that are um, 
more than significant and we've just decided that that's okay so um yeah uh, but we're making it even sure to say yes additional yeah it i think um planning staff alongside the city attorney's office will study uh, those future proposals and determine if any any additional sequels required okay Thank you for that. So I appreciate that the, the amendment makes this less of a problem. If it did not say consider, but said do this, it would be in conflict with this, with the EIR, I think. I'm not sure. You don't have to answer that because it's not before us, but that's how I was thinking about it before this meeting. I didn't realize you're going to make these changes. Okay. Then my very last point is I'd like to know from Councilmember Kesserwani why she changed um, uh, buildings essentially to single family homes. What was the thinking behind that in your amendment that you presented today? Yes, uh, thank you, Councilmember Harrison. Uh, our intention was really for single-family homes uh, initially, and we changed it to residential structures up to three. Uh, I, I was thinking about ADUs and junior ADUs, but in fact, as we were hearing the public comment and considering this concept further, you know, those are accessory to a single-family home anyway. And uh, by saying single family home, I think we make it more clear that we are really not seeking to incentivize the demolition of rent controlled units as well. Oh, I don't think that's, the, um, the rent stabilization ordinance includes many aspects. It includes price controls, which do not apply to single family homes, but demolition controls do. Relocation does, Ellis Act does payment for relocation, especially in the specific rules for seniors, for example, and for people that are, have school-aged children do, all the other aspects of the ordinance do apply to single-family homes. Right, and we've so, also specified that um, these are homes that have not had tenants for the last five years. Again, all of this is for consideration and will go to the four by four. Okay, I, I and guess- if, and, if, and if there's a protected unit, then Senate Bill 330 kicks in and there needs to be a mitigation. Yes, and and we've had lengthy discussions about whether we think um, below market rate is as good as rent control, which I don't. Um, but I, wa I would ask for one amendment here, and that is that we add that the property has not been subject to an Ellis eviction. These are very valuable properties. It could have been an Ellis eviction 10 years ago saying, I'm going out of the rental business and they're holding on to it. We know from our records, from the vacancy tax, how many places we have that have been vacant for 20 years, many of them single family homes. So I'm not satisfied with just the five-year rule. I would like to see or been subject to an Ellis eviction. Well, the current demolition ordinance says if there's been an Ellis Act eviction within the preceding five years, then the property is not eligible for demolition. So is it only is there, within if, five years? That's what, the, that's what the municipal code says. And that is what the, pr the proposed ordinance change that we're contemplating says also. I have no objection. Personally, I'm the maker of the motion of including that language to reflect what the current city law is. Okay. I would appreciate that. Um, and we may, I think we made clear that, you know, city and state law would still apply. But I guess you're the secondary counselor, Councilor correct? Um, is, do you have any problem with just base, including language that reflects what the current city policy is? Uh, no, we we can certainly. I mean, we we've had multiple versions. That, so we, you know, we have said that in different 
Uh-oh. Oh, no. Oh, no. Why well, accept that friendly amendment? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I appreciate that. Um, and also, you know, there, um, you know, there obviously no fault evictions, other things, there are other protections. I think the reason I'm bringing this up, we have a tendency to say single family homes are owned by homeowners. There are a lot of tenants living in single family homes, a lot in my district. And I want to have the maximum tenant protection. So I need this to be a little broader than just tenants within the last five years or uh, provided with other protections as set by city or state law, including Ellis. I think we need to broaden that. Well, respectfully, Councilor Harrison, I reread the demolition ordinance and there are different standards. There's, a, there's an absolute prohibition on demolition if there was an Ellis Act eviction within the preceding five years or okay. a case of verified harassment within the preceding three years. Okay. If the unit is occupied, there's a whole other set of standards that kick in, including noticing requirements, relocation assistance, a rent inferential, and a um, right to return. This specific proposal says that if a unit is not tenant occupied, then, then it can be demolished. But if it is tenant occupied, then it cannot be demolished. So I guess I don't understand why we would need to add those additional provisions if the unit is not being tenant occupied. That's consistent with our current demolition policy. I would like it to be very clear when this goes to four by four that we are including our prior protections for Ellis evictions, even if it's not occupied right now. So that would be my request. I'll leave that with you to decide. Um, I guess I'm going to just go back to the EIR for a second. If we feel comfortable changing the EIR, you know, before we even adopt it, I feel like that's a little concerning to me. We are now, I still believe that what we're doing with the words consider even is inconsistent with that mitigation. So I'm sure what the city attorney said. I still believe it is. Yes. So I'm going to leave it at that for now. And um, I really appreciate all the work. I didn't say this at the beginning. Jordan knows because I already told him privately all the work that went into this. I appreciate all of the strategies that are included here. Um, I am very interested in the idea of making sure that the center and west part of Berkeley don't take the entire burden. We have to do something about that. I did want to just mention one thing, though. You mentioned the Bank of America uh, building, Mr. Mayor, across the street from you. That is on the list of opportunity sites already. The Andronico's but parking lot. The maximum is already... height is three stories, 35 feet. That was my point. Ah, right, but it's already on the list. I thought the point that writers were making was that when you look at the distribution of wherever they are, that they weren't evenly distributed. You're saying they're not evenly going to be as tall. Is that correct? What incentive do people have to build there if the maximum height is 35 feet? Okay, thank you very much. Councilmember Bartlett. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. And, uh, and, and again, thank you, staff, for another amazing work. There's two days in a row now. We are uh, deep into the the housing um, the housing terror dome. Uh, thank you. And great work, honestly. You know, um, I, I, one question to just to just to promote thinking. Uh, how does our element align with uh, the new state law? that permits by right development on commercial streets of a certain width? Does, does anyone know, or is this law not passed yet? 
Um, that law takes effect, um, I believe, July 1st of this year, and that is something that staff are actively um, looking into. And part of our promises for amendments um, are a lot of zoning code amendments to match state law. Okay, and if you if you could help me for the for the people listening, uh, anybody doesn't know about it, it's just it, a commercial corridor wider than thirty five feet, right? Any commercial street. It's actually thirty five feet. It's, what is it? It's quite a complicated piece of law, and it's not just okay. about the um, street width. Um, sorry, I don't know if Jordan has. Yeah, more it, it also, for example, it also uh, it has to do with the adjacent uses. Uh, the so a certain percentage of the frontage of the parcel has to be adjacent to parcels with commercial uses. So, so there's a whole set of criteria that determine whether a particular parcel would qualify for buy right development. I think it's AB 2011. I think is the is the law we're referencing. Yes. And yeah, and so um, staff. Yeah, we've certainly identified that as Grace noted. Um, Part, as part of one of the programs in our housing element um, commits the city to specific timelines for updating various ordinances, uh, the zoning ordinance and the land use element. And as part of that work, um, we're, we're going to be making sure that our local laws are aligned with the state laws. In the meantime, until the local laws are aligned with the state laws, we will enforce state laws. So if a property complies you know, meets that criteria identified in, in 2011, even if that's not what's reflected in our local ordinance, we'll still apply the buy right provisions and whatever other provisions are enshrined in state law that that that, that parcel, uh, you know, is, is eligible for. Okay, thank you. I was just curious. And, and that, that kind of speaks to um, an issue that's come up a few times with, uh, with my colleagues uh, around uh, what we we would consider in our districts uh, an equitable distribution of housing development, and my constituents are definitely um, noticing the, <laughs> the 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 concentration, and they're not necessarily happy about it. Uh, and so, um, I do want to appreciate and uh, commend um, Councilor Kesserwani and the mayor, and Councilor Taplin. I forget who else is on it um, uh, for your work there to think that through and advance development around the city. Uh, it's super important. It's just, you know, it's it's a lot to expect uh, one portion of the city to 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 absorb that much growth and no one else. It's not really fair. And then the um, the advancing into the neighborhoods via the um, small housing development, like we talked about last night, um, I think goes a long way towards uh, to reinvigorating integration as, as, a, as a housing policy. Uh, as a, as a desired outcome, and I do I do want to reiterate again, and I wish I had time. I would have written something up for inclusion if I had known we could have done this. Um, because I mean, I would like for us to study uh, incentives for on-site inclusion in the in the in these new buildings that that could sprout up uh, throughout the city. Because uh, I do not believe uh, we will. We will achieve true geographic, economic, and other integration um, via the the, the city-funded methods right now. I think we're going to have to go big and have to um, be concentrated. It's going to take a long time. Whereas these these can be, these are rapid builds, and if there was a way to just have one of the one of the apartments in there be for um, a non-wealthy person, um, and we facilitate that, I think we'd have a rapid deployment 
of diversity and integration throughout the city. And I, again, I do want to harken back to our, our efforts and our groundbreaking efforts to, to undo housing racism, um, both at Byron Rumford and, and most recently at this council. And it's really exciting, but I, I do think we need to go a step further um, and, and kind of tweak the, tweak the flow of housing so that we can get it achieved on the ground in reality. Um, so th those are my thoughts, and I want to thank you for your work, and um, and I want to thank you also, Councilor Kisserwani, for your your amendments. Um, I had concerns, of course, around tenants, um, but I think you're protecting them, and I support that 100%. So thank you for your work. Thank you very much. Go next to Councilor Taplin, followed by Councilor Humbert. Thank you. Uh, I want to thank Director Klein, Ms. Wu, and the planning team, as well as Councilmember Kisserwani, the mayor, and Councilmember Humbert. I too want to uplift the fair housing legacy of William Byron Rumford and state that by relegating density and subsidized housing to San Pablo and other formerly redlined neighborhoods, not only will we fail to live up to that legacy, we would risk perpetuating the same practices that necessitated the intervention of state law to begin with. I also want to recall that when the anti-eviction mapping project presented before council, they recommended in order to prevent further displacement of the black community that the city concentrate upzoning in high resource affluent neighborhoods. In closing, uh, I look forward to working with the planning staff to engage community during this Mojave area planning process. Thank you very much. Thank you. We'll go next to Councilmember Humbert. Uh, Councilmember Humbert, uh, you were next in the stack. Uh oh. Uh, why don't we come back to you? We'll go to Councilor Weingraf. I'll come back to you, Councilor Humbert. Councilmember Weingraf. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, I want to thank staff for all of their incredible work on this. It's been a long haul. And um, I'm, I'm really actually very pleased with the outcome of the draft. I, I wanted to ask Jordan uh, about the timing of all of this. Um, you submit a draft to HCD, and then what happens? So we submitted the current draft that's before city council on December 1st, I think it was, or November 30th. Um, and that triggers 60 day review period. Um, and we expect to receive written comments from HCD by no later than January 30th. Um, as, assuming that council takes action to adopt um, the housing element tonight with or without amendments, we will prepare to uh, resubmit a revised version of the housing element to that reflects council's action prior to January 31st um, to, to HCD. We're hoping and optimistic because as we, as we detailed in our staff report, we did a very thorough job responding to the, the feedback that we received from HCD on November 8th. And the feedback that we received, as Grace mentioned in the presentation, there weren't any major issues or fatal flaws that were identified by HCD in their in their subsequent review or or in the preliminary comments that they had provided previously to, previous to the November 8th letter. And so we responded very thoroughly to the November 8th letter, and we feel strongly that our housing element is fully compliant. And so we're hoping that any additional comments that we receive from HCD 
um, by January 30th will be, again, minor comments not requiring any substantive modifications to the housing element. You might note, you might see that as part of the recommend, recommended action, we're requesting that city council authorize the city manager to make non-substantive edits to the housing element to respond to any further comments we receive from HCD. And by non-substantive, we mean no edits that would require policy action by city council, but only edits that would require additional detail. Um, the type of edits that are described that we made in response to HCD's November 8th letter. And so we're hoping that um, we receive uh, a letter indicating substantial compliance by January 30th from HCD. If they provide any further comments and asking for more detail, we will turn that around as you know, as quickly as we can um, and and resubmit the housing element to, to HCD. And um, what are the um, posting requirements and public comment requirements on, on the revision? Go ahead, Grace. So per state law, um, if we were to revise any a subsequent draft of the housing element, um, it's we were required to post it online for seven days for public review and comment prior to submitting again to HCD. And every subsequent draft, um, HCD gets 60 days to review. Okay, so if we um, if we were to accept uh, the supplemental two amendments tonight, would those have to be posted online for seven days? No, and I confirmed this with HCD because this draft has been um, posted for at least seven days already, and we're discussing the changes in a public forum. We can consider these as part of the public comments and make revisions. Um, and so once we make that, as Jordan mentioned, we would be able to send it directly to HCD. I see. Okay. All right. Thank you. I'm, I'm um, you know, I'm very disappointed in the process. I just want to let everybody know that. I, I think that um, after working on this for 18 months, the public deserves uh, more time to consider. And frankly, you know, we had a council meeting last night that didn't end until what, 10 o'clock maybe. Um, and uh, so I didn't get to see these revisions until this morning. Um, I don't consider that adequate time to make important policy decisions. Um, that said, I would like to, um, I'd like to see if we can agree to make some minor word um, changes to um, supplemental two. Um, and I'll read them out to you. Um, on page two, paragraph starting with land use, safety, and environmental justice. Uh, if you go down to these updates will increase, I'd like to change that, the wording to that, to these updates will consider increasing uh, allowed densities and or development capacity. Um, in the next paragraph, specific actions and timeline, by December 2026, council will vote on and update the land use, safety, and environmental justice elements of the general plan. And then in that same paragraph, 
um, particularly in the highest resource neighborhoods to achieve consistency among all transit and commercial corridors and consider revising the city's zoning map and development standards. Hold on one second. Um, I have some others. Um, on page three, um, specific actions and timelines. Um, oh yeah, the bottom of page two, specific actions and timeline. Um, on middle housing to facilitate, oh God, I, I, I'm sorry. I don't have, I printed out the wrong pages here. So I don't have my hard copy. Okay, let's see if I can, I can do this. Um, under middle housing, uh, put in under to facilitate the by right development of middle housing in the last sentence uh, with the, where it says tenants within the past five years add and are not historic resources. If you're following me. Um, and then, um, yeah, that's it. So um, were you able to follow me on that? I know it was a little- Yeah, I did. Disjointed. Um, so, um, We'll check with the seconder as well. The, 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 really, the, the substantive change you're proposing to recommendation one is to say that we will consider increasing, consider revising. That is a pretty substantive change from what we have presently. Um, and that does substantively change the meaning of the recommendation such that we're not committing to it. We're saying we're considering it. Therefore, therefore I, I cannot accept that, Councillor Kesarwani. Yes, I, I feel the same. So we will not accept that. And then with respect to the amendment to number two, the effect of it would be to exempt single family homes that are historic resources from the consideration. We're not saying that we're doing it. We're saying we're gonna consider um, potential by right demolition. And Councillor Kesarwani, what are your thoughts? Uh, so, you know, I, I will say personally, I we, historic resources. Oh, hear me better if I turn off video? Yes, yes. yes. Okay, okay. So, sorry about this. I, I uh, but I'll, I'll try to keep going. So we, I, I absolutely agree. We, we need to accommodate homes that are historic resources. And that is something I expect will uh, take place through the consideration. And in fact, that is something that staff brought up with me. We absolutely would need to address that. And, and so I don't think we need to specify it here, uh, but it, it, would, it would occur through that process. And essentially, uh, Councilmember Wengroff, by saying consider this whole concept, we are, we are creating a process where we will 
consider historic resources and other issues that may come up as a result? So that sounds like no. So yes, I I, I would say that uh, there is no need for that amendment. So since well, is there any harm in including it? I, I think we we've uh, made amendments. I, I I just don't I don't think it it's necessary. Okay. Okay. So basically, um, you are rejecting all of my edits, my editorial suggestions. I just want to be clear. Yes. Okay. Um, the other thing that I find. Um, disconcerting is that what we're doing here is incentivizing demolition rather than incentivizing adaptive reuse. And from an environmental standpoint, um, that is probably the worst thing that we could do as a city. We should be really thinking about incentivizing adaptive reuse um, and not tearing down buildings. Um, I wish I had the, the number, uh, the carbon numbers, and Kate, maybe you can help me on this, hmm. but um, in terms of demolition, um, you know, it, it's, it's devastating environmentally to do that. So I'm, I'm disappointed that we're not emphasizing um, a different way, a more creative way to increase density in our city, other than demolition and new construction. Um, and so... Um, with that, that's the, those are my comments. Right now, I want to thank staff again. You did an incredible job. And um, I hope in the future we can improve our, the, the way we, we, we go about um, making these important policy decisions. Thank you. Uh, Councilor Humbert, are you there? We'll go back to you. Yeah, I'm here. And I want to apologize for my limited bandwidth. Um, it kind of took me off, off the Zoom chat and then put me back on so and that's one reason why i have my camera turned off um because uh i was having internet instability problems but aside from all that i want to start out thanking the planning staff this has been an herculean task and undertaken at the same time you were drafting the new affordable housing policy it's amazing how much work you've got done um and and you know it's incredibly complicated work and I really appreciate it. So thank you very much for your good work on, on this. And thank you to the commissions um, and the public who participated in the process over the past couple of years um, and the public who, who commented tonight. I think that there were some pretty good suggestions. I support submitting this draft to the state with the modifications contained in Council Member Kessarwani's supplementals. I'm confident that with the upzoning of three commercial corridors, College Avenue, North, North Shattuck, and Solano. We can find additional sites that would be appropriate for denser multifamily mixed-use housing. Um, it is, in my view, it's critically important for the higher resource neighborhoods with a history of exclusionary zoning to share equitably in the new housing that Berkeley must construct pursuant to the regional housing needs allocation. We've been told this directly by our state Senator Nancy Skinner, and I think we need to listen to it. Um, I represent newly the Elmwood, which was the exclusionary zoning pioneer. So I feel this, this issue um, particularly personal. 
And I ran on the notion that we need to do something about these issues of, of equity and, 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 and remedy our history of exclusionary zoning. For that reason, I really appreciate the comments that um, uh, Council Member Bartlett made about reintegration of uh, the higher resource neighborhoods through inclusionary housing. Um, I, I, that really piqued my interest and it's something that I wanna follow up with him on. So anyway, thank you so much. Um, this has been a really you know, intense um, second significant council meeting for me. Um, thank you for all who've participated. Thank you. I'm gonna try something. Um, let me see if this will fly. So council member Wangraf, what about adding the words, consider the effect on local and state laws relating to the demolition of historic resources? I mean, we're, we're not adopting the policy. We're basically saying we're going to consider it. We're referring it. Is this an addition? Yes, uh, this would be an addition that I would propose. And I would support this addition, uh, Councilmember Wengraf. I, I think it, I, I wasn't as comfortable saying we're going to exclude them, but I, I think this is an issue that must be considered and, and I would feel comfortable with this. Okay, could, yeah, just because we've used the word consider so much in this document, could we say explore? Yes. Thank you. I would, I'd like to pr propose as an amendment to my motion. Councilor Kesserwani, are you amenable? And, and I accept. Okay. There we go. Now it, it follows the sentence after that, uh, Jesse, if you could go back, um, Mayor, that it says, this policy will be referred for consideration to the four by four. I don't think that's quite relevant to the historic resources issue. Let's see. Uh, no, but that's in relation to the yeah, so it might be better if we change the order of it. Yes, that's a good idea. So, uh, Mr. Mayor, I may suggest, yeah, just say further, comma, explore further. the effect. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, that is in the motion now. It is. All right, back to council member Kisawani. Okay, I, I'll try to be brief since I don't have video. Well, I'm, I was smiling because council member Wengrub, I appre appreciate your edits. And, and I think we make a, we were making a stronger uh, program section with, with all of the input that we've gotten. I, I wanna thank council member Harrison because uh, we've also explicitly stated now, I don't know if you saw it, uh, council member Harrison, but we added that um, we were excluding homes that had an Ellis Act eviction in the pre preceding five years, even though it's it's somewhat redundant, but, you know, happy to clarify that because we also said no tenants over the last five years. But um, so so I just want to thank my colleagues again and, and thank the staff uh, for getting us to this point. I do just want to clarify that, um, again, that these two areas, that these are not new policies. I, I think I said already that the zoning concepts referral that was made in March, 2021 did include the referral 
uh, related to rezoning transit and commercial corridors. And, and I do want to clarify, even though um, we haven't been explicit about this demolition for middle housing, it is my understanding from Mr. Klein that part of our um, adoption of middle housing does require updates to the demolition ordinance, and that will be coming to us this year. Is that correct, Mr. Klein? Um, Councilmember Kesserani, yeah, when this when this issue uh, came up and was identified in the supplemental, I conferred with staff as to whether it would be something that would be considered as part of our existing work plan. And we determined that as part of the legislative package and the legislative consideration process for middle housing, that's a policy issue that we would likely take up with city council as to how the existing provisions in the demolition ordinance um, would relate to the council's goal for by right approval of middle housing process uh, projects and and so just bring forward policy choices for city council's consideration as part of that leg legislative package. Okay, thank you very much. So I do want to clarify that you know we brought this forward with an understanding that that was going to come to us. That inherently, when you're talking about middle housing you have to think about policies related to demolition. So I wanna clarify that, that that is something um, that that is part of the ongoing work. Um, and then finally, I do wanna just um, harken back to the questions that Councilmember Harrison asked about why so yeah. many of the sites are in South and West Berkeley and that it, it wasn't necessarily a bias on our staff's part or our consultant's part, but it is, yeah. It is simply re what we're doing is we're reinforcing the existing zoning. Well, we know, as the mayor eloquently said at the beginning of this meeting, the existing zoning is based on racial exclusion. It's based on single family zoning invented in the Claremont Elmwood neighborhood to keep people of color from being able to live there. And so this is a struggle that I have um, it's, a, it's an honor to represent District 1, but I find in many areas, mm -hmm. not just in the housing area, that the rules of the game are yep. rigged yep. <laughs> against, um, against having real equity. And I'm really proud of the work that we've done so far and the fact that our motion is making our commitments very clear to try to undo that harmful racist legacy, because uh, it does require going above and beyond uh, the existing zoning to try to correct for that. And so uh, so I, I, I'm just really proud of uh, the the steps that I hope we're about to take tonight and uh, thank my colleagues again uh, for your collaboration and support. Council Member Hahn. I'm sorry, I just noticed a small potential second edit that needed to be made. Um, first of all, I just want to say I really appreciate the addition of the um, language mayor that you came up with around, um, you know, looking at impacts on historic resources. But then below at specific actions and timelines, the the same thing is repeated. Um, it says four projects that add net density and are not ten occupied um, within the past five years. And I think there we would have to just add the same concept. Yeah, that we'd have to. That's correct. Okay, it's it just parallels it. 
Yeah, and it, it also would say, and in which an LSAC act eviction did not occur within the preceding five years. That had to be stated in that fashion. Yes, uh, Mr. Mayor, we, we should we we should repeat the concepts in this paragraph yeah. and the specific actions and timeline. Yep. Correct. That was it. Thank you. It was just a, a, a nit. So there still is a request to sever the vote on the supplemental recommendation one and supplemental recommendation two, correct? Yes. Okay. So unless there's any further discussion, we'll proceed to a vote now on the, um, and I'll pull that up. Give me one second. Um, supplement, supplemental recommendation one, which is amending program 21, priority development areas and commercial transit corridors. Um, San Pablo Avenue PDA specific plan the city will be developing is San Pablo Avenue corridor PDA specific plan, which will increase striking the word study allow densities and or development capacity and study design standards, public improvements and mechanisms to incentivize affordable housing. Second, making the following amendments. Um, land use safety and environmental justice element update the city will striking evaluate update zoning map and development standards to accommodate housing capacity and growth on transit and commercial quarters, particularly in the highest resource areas pursuant to the affirmatively furthering fair housing requirement. These updates will increase allowed densities and or development capacity with the goal of achieving consistency among all transit and commercial quarters, especially between formerly Ren line areas and higher resource areas of Solano Avenue, North Shattuck Avenue and College Avenue. Mending specific actions and timelines, by December 2026, update the land use safety and environmental justice elements of the general plan to accommodate greater housing capacity on commercial and transit corridors, particularly in the highest resource neighborhoods, to achieve consistency among um, all transit and commercial corridors and revise the city's zoning map and development standards to be consistent. The city commits to initiate this work within one year of the certification housing element. So we'll now vote on whether to include this revised language in the housing element. I'd like to ask the clerk to call the roll. On the motion, council member Kesarwani? Yes. Taplin? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. I'm sorry, Bartlett? Yes. Thank you. Harrison? Yes. Hahn? Yes. Wengraff? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. And Mayor Erging? Yes. Thank you. Okay, that's going to be included in the vote on, on approving the housing element. Let's now proceed to the revised recommendation two. Let me pull that up. Program 29, middle housing. Add language in section five on page 145 to clarify that a demolition of a single family home to create middle housing will occur by right under the following conditions. The proposed middle housing project- Oh, actually, um, Mr. Mayor, I think you're just reading the, the introductory text. It's, it's actually the underlying- Oh yeah, section. you're right. It's so this th right That's here. just descriptive, so Correct. it's not Thank an you. element. Yeah. You're right. To facilitate the by right development of middle housing, the city will consider eliminating the requirement for use permit to demolish single family homes for applications at one, add, net density and two have not been occupied by tenants within the past five years and in which an else act eviction did not occur within the preceding five years. This policy will be referred for further consideration to the four by four committee of the city council and rent stabilization board 
further explore the effect of local and state laws relating to the demolition of historic resources. Specific actions and timeline is repeating the same language, but stating by December 2023 that we will consider amending the demolition ordinance to provide a buy right pathway. So we'll now vote on the incorporation of that amendment into the housing audit. On the motion, Council Member Kessarwani? Yes. Taplin? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Um, no. Pawn? No. Wengraf? No. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. Mayor Ergeen? Yes. Motion does carry that will be included. And so now we'll vote on the on the body of the motion, which is to does someone say something? Okay, which is to adopt the resolution certifying the environmental impact report and adopting CEQA findings, a statement of overriding considerations, mitigation measures, and a mitigation monitoring reporting program, and B to approve and adopt the general plan amendment to update the housing element of the city of Berkeley's general plan for the period of 2023 to 2031, incorporating the two amendments that were just adopted by a majority of the council. Let's call the roll on that motion. On the motion, council member Kesarwani? Yes. Taplin? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. Hahn? Yes. Wengraf? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. Mayor Ergeen? Yes. Okay. okay, the motion is now approved. We have adopted the housing elements before the deadline. So no uh, builder's remedy, hopefully. And just once again, I want to thank our all of our staff, um, particularly Grace Wu, who's done such a, a remarkable job in leading this process. And uh, all the consultants, some of whom are here tonight, including Rincon, and um, Ramey and Associates who helped lead this effort. And um, this is, I think, a really important milestone for our city. I think we'll provide a roadmap for how we can grow in a way that's sustainable and equitable and affordable. And uh, thank you to the council for your all your comments and I think really thoughtful discussion. And thank you to the community for your active engagement in this process. So that completes our business for tonight. Is there a motion to adjourn? So moved. So moved. By Wingraf, seconded by. <laughs> Kesarwani okay. or Harrison to adjourn. Let's call the roll. On the motion to adjourn, Councilmember Kesarwani? Yes. Taplin? Yes. Bartlett? Yes. Harrison? Yes. Hahn? Yes. Wengraf? Yes. Robinson? Yes. Humbert? Yes. Mayor Aragim? Yes. Thank you. Okay, with that, we are adjourned. Have a good evening.